Blog Talk Radio. Let's talk to Will in Arizona. Thanks for holding her on the air. First off, I am a Prison TV Planet member. Awesome, brother. Go ahead and into your points, and I'll hold you over if need be. Um, if you really want to have an unbridged idea of what is going on today, look at... Uh, it's actually a YouTube video, but it's a, it's a documentary, uh, Adolf Hitler, uh, The Greatest Story Never Told. He actually kicked out a lot of the bankers because they were trying to implode Germany after World War I. And it was the bankers. And uh, when I was watching that, it was five hours long. And I started listening and saying to myself, wait a minute, They're, they are just repeating history. But because we are so dumbed down in the sense of our historical knowledge. Well, I haven't seen the documentary you're talking about. Uh, but uh, people can, I guess, check it out for themselves. It's a very well-made, excellent and moving documentary called Adolf Hitler, The Greatest Story Never Told. I want you to do something for me as well, and I would really appreciate it. Before you listen to this interview, I want you to watch the documentary. I know you want to listen to this program right away, but if you haven't already seen it, I want you to stop this program right now and go watch the documentary first. And I'm adamant about watching the documentary because one of the biggest hurdles that the majority of people seem to have, they're basically just kind of set in their ways and they argue that they already know everything that they need to know concerning this topic. Well, I can promise you, people, you don't know one-tenth of it. I seriously had a panic attack after I watched that documentary, The Greatest Story Never Told. And for days afterward, I was really shook, shook up. I, it, was, it had such a profound impact on me. And, and everything started making so much sense. And I felt so... I mean, I've always felt kind of betrayed by, by the powers that be, but I felt more betrayed than ever. Mm-hmm. And, I started, and I started looking back on my entire life, and looking back at all the movies that I'd seen. I just couldn't believe it. I thought if they could pull off this, then anything is possible. Anything. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, that one, you know, I would encourage anybody watching this or listening to this to, to watch that hasn't seen that documentary to watch it and you can go with, back with and, an open mind, uh, open mind, and listen to that interview that you did with um, Dennis Wise recently. But that's most likely what what got us censored from iTunes, by the way, too. That show. Yeah, well, that uh, shows what we're not allowed to talk about. It's just yeah, it's exactly. off limits, you know. And, that, and that's what when I was going through that sort of panic attack re- realization. That was it. That was the re- that was the big red flag. I was like, oh my god! Like, of course, of course, we're not being told the truth because we're not allowed to talk about this issue. When you're not allowed to talk about something, then that's that's like the red flag right there. If it's off yeah. limits, then that's the thing you need to talk about the most. And to, and the rule to remember is that history is written by the winner. I can promise you, people, you don't know one tenth of it. evil, you know that. So what are we supposed to do, Peter? Nothing. Sit around and wait for something good to drop out of the sky. The American people are sheep, Peter, just dumb sheep. They'll follow anyone who promises to keep them warm and well fed. This man we've elected is a Marxist. He can't support and defend the Constitution because he doesn't believe in what the Constitution says. He doesn't believe in the rights of man. He doesn't believe in the right to life because he kills all more babies. He doesn't believe in the right to liberty because he wants to take our guns away, which is our very source of protection of that liberty. 
and he doesn't believe in the right to property because he wants to redistribute the wealth instead of letting hardworking Americans keep what they earn. I know. Do you remember what Dad and was memorized? Jefferson, he knew this day would come. I've thought about this over and over again. I can't tell you how many times. When they were shooting at me over there, and I'd get back and I'd hear what those liberals were saying over here. His letter to William Smith. What country can preserve its liberties if its rulers are not warned from time to time that this people preserve the spirit of resistance? Let them take arms. What signify a few lives lost in a century or two? The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time for the blood of patriots and tyrants. It is its natural manure. During the American Revolution, the active forces in the field against the king's tyranny never amounted to more than 3% of the colonists. They were in turn actively supported by perhaps 10% of the population. In addition to these revolutionaries were perhaps another 20% who favored their cause but did little to nothing to support it. Another one-third of the population sided with the king. By the end of the war, there were actually more Americans fighting for the king than there were in the field against him. And the final third, they took no side and blew with the wind and took what came. Three-percenters today do not claim that we represent 3% of the American people, although we might. That theory has not yet been tested. We do claim that we represent at least 3% of American gun owners, which is still a healthy number, somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 million people. History, for good or ill, is made by determined minorities. We are one such minority. So too are the current enemies of the Founders' Republic. What remains, then, is the test of will and skill to determine who will shape the future of our nation.
Podcasting here in North Carolina. Um, there's very few of us across the country now that the numbers are dwindling. The people that really believe that and understand what the flag means that don't tread on me, flag, join or die. You know, uh, there's, there is a, a still a, a good group of people, and they're all different ranks, uh, even a few in Congress and the Senate and a lot of local politicians. But Again, the numbers are dwindling because we have a sickness in this country, and it's a cancer that's growing and growing, and it just continues to grow, and we can't stop it. You know, and we compromise. We continue to compromise and, okay, cross this line. Okay, cross this line. And before you know it, your back is against the wall. And how many of you are out there willing to take that oath? Well, look, if we're attacked, if we're attacked, we will defend ourselves. We will. There's no, I'll, I'll argue it out in court, uh, I'll cop a plea, uh, no, no. There's, there comes a time when you have to draw the line in the sand and you've got to say enough. And I'm not advocating anyone out there to do anything offensive. I'm talking about defensive. You have to draw the line. I mean, your, your home is your castle. I mean, your, your family you know, you you have to. You, I mean, where do you where do you where do you stop? Where do you well, How do you allow this continuation of of infringement on your rights? Uh, an example: me, I I got a, a, a notice a violation, code enforcement, code enforcement, because I because I'm I have a burn pile, and I've been targeted for a long time. You know, I was going through some of my old when I was doing my landscaping. You know, one of the ads I ran in one of the papers here. This is what I. This is one. Of the, this is what. This is what read actually. This is what I ran in the newspaper. This was on December. This is one of my last ads actually. This was December nineteenth, two thousand nineteen, and this ran. I ran this for actually a whole year. Um, affordable landscaping for all your landscaping needs, including irrigation, installation, and repair. Call Joe at J Gibson Landscaping, an American-owned and operated small business built on capitalism not socialism in god we trust that that ad that i ran i got so many phone calls people just wanted to talk to me because they wanted to know about my ad oh, i love your ad i love that ad and i also got a few derelicts oh who the hell are you what do you mean social you know so i got some of those and a couple hang-ups and a couple death threats and you know, the death threats give me energy, though. You know, I kind of like those, you know. Because, you know, when they call me, we're going to get you. I say, okay, I'll leave the porch light on for you anytime you want to come by. You know? I mean, you got to be a fool anyway to come down my road. I live like a mile, well, a mile and a half down a dirt road. Okay? <laughs> and there's only one way in and one way out. So if you, And I live at the end of the road. I have an eight-foot-high fence around my two acres. So, I mean, you, you know, you, 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 with cameras. So if you, if, if you get through all that and then you do something stupid, you're going to get caught. So it's a suicide. So if you're willing to do that, you might as well just wait till I leave my property. Don't come Don't come to my house. Don't threaten me you're going to come to my house. you got to be an idiot. 
So just don't do it. But I get those threats. We've heard them here on this show, and some people call in. They've got to make, say stupid things and whatnot. And they've called my gym where I work out, and the threat, you know, harassing even the staff there. They harass them there, call them and harass them, you know. So it's just it's stupid. Just real stupid. I mean, why? I mean, it makes no. I mean, if you put that much energy into yourself and what you and and something to stand for and fight for something positive, just imagine what you can do instead of doing something so stupid. But this is this is the sickness we have out there. This is the cancer that is growing. The immor- the, the, the 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 liberal minded people out there, and they when they're hit with facts, they they go berserk. They stay when they when they when you present them with a, a fact, they their mind it's like their their mind their eyes glaze over, and they just go ballistic and they just start spouting back stuff that doesn't even make sense. You know, if you tell them, yeah, you know, the election was rebought from proof about Donald Trump or whatever. Yeah, it's the sky, it's it's, it's raining outside. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll come up with something stupid. They just the, the argument just changes, and then they start calling you names. And if they're in groups, then they get they get you know a little tough, you know, and they want they start acting stupid or they'll throw something at you or you know or this is what they do. You know they break windows and, and this is why they destroyed cities during the, all the marches and protests. This is what they do. Stupid nonsense. You know, and just like arguing with them online here, they're talking about sedition and, and insurrection. They, the January 6th people. There wasn't one person charged with that, okay? And it was not an insurrection, okay? Which leads me to a, a Constitution lesson here tonight. And really, and, and we, all, we know the Constitution, but how many of us really dig deep into the Constitution where we start going into the Federalist Papers and facts? You know, and those of you that are, appreciate history will 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 appreciate some of this stuff here that I'm going to play here tonight. And it's not going to be long. It'll maybe one-minute clips, stuff like that. But this is uh, stuff that we, we have to have. People are just so ignorant that they don't understand the problems we face today. They don't understand how to fix it because they don't understand the history and they don't understand the Constitution. You see, the founders gave us the tools to get out of this mess, but you see, people don't know history and they don't know the Constitution, so therefore they get, they're, they're frustrated. They're, they're stuck. Well, I guess you could say paralysis analysis, I guess. Analysis paralysis, however you want to say it. They, they can't, they, they don't know what to do, which is, which is, which is asinine. But they weren't taught civics. They weren't taught, they, you know, they, they don't understand. So, when you don't understand how to fix something, or you don't, uh, you know, and you know, don't know that you have the tools right within your grasp to fix things, then, then what happens? You have a breakdown. You have a breakdown of the system. It's like the national debt. People don't understand the debt. They, they, they always talk about it. the debt. We don't owe the debt. We don't owe it. You don't understand what the Federal Reserve is. They don't understand. They don't understand the printing of money. They don't understand taxes. They don't understand where taxes, why taxes are collected. They don't get it. 
you know, so when they don't, I mean, if you don't, I mean, I always hear people say, my tax dollars, my tax dollars. You don't have tax dollars. They don't pay for the things that you think they do. The state has bonds that they sell. Your original bond was the one you actually. But the bond, they, they, it, it's, it's so easy to figure out. That, I mean, the money changers and how they do the Federal Reserve System. I mean, how the, the fractional reserve banking scheme that they use, the recreation of money through the deposits that they use, and they recreate and regenerate 9, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 times over. I, wanted, I, I think I'm going to do something this week. I'm going to try to get, get it where I can get I'm going to call one of these debt lawyers, right? And I'm going to act like I wanted my debt cleared up. And, and they'll, they'll explain it to you if you know what you're talking about and you ask the right questions. They'll tell you. But you pay them, and they can get you out of clear your credit and everything and, and get rid of your debts and stuff like that because you don't owe it. And they do it through a series of letters to these credit card uh, companies and, and banks and, and car, whatever, wherever you owe money to. And they ask them to show them the debt and the creation of the debt and where the money originated from. And they can't do that because if they do, they, they commit a felony. They admit to a felony. It's a felony because they commit fraud. Because they because you create the money through your signature, the power of your signature through those documents, and then they go to the board of federal reserve governors or or their central bank, whatever they get their money from, whatever whatever you know, system they have in that region. Most of the times, it's the federal board of uh, federal reserve board of governors, and what they do is that central bank they take that and they take your signature and those documents and they deposit them or they exchange them for bonds through that those boards and what they do is then they take that 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 check that they get from the central bank deposit in their bank and then they recreate it and then they lend it back out to you it's really your money they're lending back out to you it's really interest it's really when you look at the the documents and the and the accounts how they do it the, uh, what a checking account stands for, what a deposits mean in a bank, and you look this stuff up. It's really that you're like, holy shit! The bank is ripping me off every time I go in there. The bank has no cash on, on hand. They don't have none of your deposits on hand. If you have, you know, they only carry enough money for that day's of business. The rest of the money has got to be ordered. Like if you want to cash a check for like one hundred fifty thousand dollars, they got to order that money. And if you ever notice, somebody brought up an interesting thing, all money. Look at the dates on your money. You will never find a date past 2017. All the dates are before 2017. Look it up. Look at the money you carry around with you, if you got any. <laughs> 2000, you won't get it. You don't have no 2020 bills, 2023 bills. It's all 2017 and under. Interesting, huh? Why is that? Where's everybody got an answer for me on that? Let's put, uh, get something here. A couple minutes, uh, about two minutes here. Debt when we uh, when uh, Jefferson took office here. This is Jefferson here, and uh, I'll play this here real quick, and then um, we're gonna go. We'll cover a few things here from the founders. The founders. This is very important. Took office in 1800. But he and his fellow Democrat Republicans in Congress knocked about $26 million off the debt in his two terms in office. This despite taking on an additional $13 million of added debt for the Louisiana Purchase. How did they do it? Well, it's pretty simple. They cut spending and applied the savings to pay down debt. 
They made cuts even with a federal workforce totaling just 130 employees. Without much room there, Jefferson went to where the money was being spent, the military. He argued that funding a standing army in peacetime was a colossal waste of money. In his 1801 address, Jefferson wrote, Sound principles will not justify our taxing the industry of our fellow citizens to accumulate treasure for wars to happen we know not when, and which might not perhaps happen, but from the temptations offered by that treasure. During Jefferson's tenure, Congress reduced the size of the Army and Navy and reduced the number of foreign embassies to only three, Britain, France, and Spain. All of these spending cuts freed up about $7 million in revenue annually. Treasury Secretary Albert Gallatin used the surplus to pay down the debt. On top of it, Congress even reduced taxes, eliminating the hated whiskey tax, along with other internal taxes. There's a basic lesson here. If you want to reduce debt, you have to make government smaller. Okay. And, and and that's what, and right now we have a government with so many employees, so much, so it's so huge right now that it's it, it, I don't know if they can shrink the government down the way the way way I think it should be or what most people who want smaller government. Um, one other thing that they bring up, uh, they talk about a lot here is um, is that the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve, the central bank here. And the Federal Reserve is really the, the, the most dangerous – I mean, it's just – it's the most dangerous thing and most destructive thing that was implemented, the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, that really destroyed destroyed our economy and took away the purchasing power of the people. And, they did, and they've done this through – and again, fractional reserve banking is just uh, – it's destructive to the to, – uh, to uh, any type of uh, economic um, structure. So um, let's see. Less, less uh, Democrat, more, less Republican, more. Okay, this is that's. Uh, I'm trying to find the one I hear I have that was really good here on the on that. That's enough to take some phone calls. Anybody wants to talk? Six five seven three eight three zero six one six. Press the number one. And uh, let's see. I got one here that's about two minutes long. We'll put. Do this one here. I, I want to go. Probably, I probably should go online here. They're only about about a minute and a half long, all of them. But it's very important. They quote the founding fathers, and the founding fathers again. They were geniuses in their time. I mean, the thing that they, they gave every type of angle and tool that to fix things when we got into a jam. And they understand. And then you get to people. Oh, they had slaves back then. They were evil. They remember that. Those are people with pea brains, and they can't figure out. You know, they don't have more than five minutes of brain time. So they can't – they just don't understand. They just don't understand. So let's get into uh, – let's see, the judicial, judicial supremacy myth, uh, Jefferson and uh, Madison here. Let's see if I can get that one pulled up here. The Supreme Court isn't actually supreme, and both Thomas Jefferson and James Madison insisted that it wasn't. Think about the logic here for a moment. Would the founders really have created a government with limited powers and then given that same government the authority to determine the extent of its own powers? This would have been seen as absurd and dangerous. As Thomas Jefferson put it, 
The government created by this compact was not made the exclusive or final judge of the extent of the powers delegated to itself, since that would have made its discretion, and not the Constitution, the measure of its powers. Madison took a more moderate stance. He conceded that the federal judiciary was the final arbiter in disputes between the branches of the federal government. But he insisted that it could never have the final say when it comes to the extent of federal power in relation to the states and the people. In his famous report of 1800, Madison said because the states are sovereign parties to the Constitution, it follows of necessity that there can be no tribunal above their authority to decide in the last resort if the Constitution is being violated. As a result, he said the states must themselves decide in the last resort such questions as may be of sufficient magnitude to require their interposition. Jefferson took a different position. He said the Supreme Court wasn't even supreme over the other branches of the federal government. In a letter to Spencer Roan, he said this notion of judicial supremacy would make the Constitution a complete suicide pact. He went on to write that as he understood it, each department is truly independent of the others and has an equal right to decide for itself the meaning of the Constitution in the cases submitted to its action, and especially where it is to act ultimately and without appeal. So despite what everybody tells you today, the notion of total, final, absolute supremacy of the Supreme Court is a myth. That's a big one there we talked about many, many times. The Supreme Court. The Supreme Court decided this. They decide that. The Supreme Court. <laughs> no. No. The Supreme Court does not have final... It's, it's a, like, like, he, like he said. So these are... If we, again, I have to reiterate this. If we don't understand the tools that we have at our disposal today, how do we expect to talk about things and understand things? and to discuss things out logically. We can't. It's, a, it's an impossibility, and, and we're deceiving ourselves by doing it. All we're doing is arguing with each other, killing each other, over what? Something that doesn't exist. Because our republic has been usurped, and we've went over this many, many times in the past on my podcast where we've discussed on how to restore the republic, how to restore the jure, jure republic, because we're in a corporation right now, so it doesn't matter really. And I get, well, I get into this too. I'm, I'm, I'm this voter integrity thing, and really, technically, I really don't, really can't change anything because I'm not, I'm not a citizen of the corporation. But I'm going to play their little game. I mean, we have to now because there's no de jure right now. 
It's only de facto. So I have to play their little game, and, I, and that's why I'm trying to tell people we'll have to infiltrate the de facto now to restore our republic because the de jure is not there anymore. And if you walk into any courtroom or tell people about the de jure, they'll laugh at you. They won't know what you're talking about. They don't understand that they're a 14th Amendment slave. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They don't. They don't. They, they just don't get it. Just like I said about taxes earlier. My tax dollars. My taxes. My taxes. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. It's kind of like a but. Like for instance, they, your 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 state comes. I mean, your town or comes up with a budget to say your county comes up with a budget. Say uh, just say hypothetically, uh, uh, ten million dollars for the year, right? Your just your county, ten million dollars. Okay. So you got your set budget, all right, we've got all the money allocated. Now you have a major disaster, a hurricane hits you. Now in the wintertime you have seven snowstorms. How are you going to pay for everything? You can't increase taxes because the money, budget's already been set, the money's been allocated. Where, where are you going to get the money from? Because <laughs> they got the money already, man. It's all July. Your taxes, they, they don't care. The budget ain't nothing, man. In North Carolina, we got $86 billion surplus. <laughs> They're talking about we're broke. <laughs> we got to balance the budget. <laughs> it's a joke, man. Go down and read your uh, the CAFA report. Go to, go to any – just spend the day instead of watching football uh, coming up this weekend or, or during the week or whatever you guys do. I don't know. You know, instead of playing games, go down to your local uh, uh, courthouse, your government building or wherever you've got your books there, your journals and everything, and say, I want to uh, read the CAFA report, Centralized Annual Financial uh, Report for your uh, state or your county. And, re- and, show, and, and, and it tells you everything right there, where the money is created from, where it comes from, where, how much they got and everything. And it tells you everything that's there. And you're going to see numbers that are, that are like so large. You're going to be like, whoa, we, we're loaded. we got plenty of money. they got plenty of money. Trust me. They're not broke. <laughs> They're far from broke. they got plenty of money. How do you think we can send $300 billion over to Ukraine? A drop of a hat. How do we pay for the war all those years? <laughs> Remember they were saying how the cruise missiles, they cost, they cost $50,000 a piece every time they shoot one. Well, who the hell's paying for it? <laughs> Not your taxes. <laughs> it's funny. Because the sheep believe it. The sheep believe it. And it's, it's pathetic. Your taxes. My tax dollars. <laughs> I don't like that guy. He's on food stamps. My tax dollars go up. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's hilarious. That's the least of my... I mean, well, I just laugh at that stuff because it's, it's like, you know, we have, a, we have a machine that prints the money. We're, trust me. As long as we got the strongest military in the world, as long as we're, we're a superpower... We've got plenty of money. Don't worry about it. But then why are we so broke? Why is the economy? Because they've got to keep us under control. They keep play the game. It's a game. The wealthy, the Rockefellers, the J.P. Morgans, the Rothschilds, <laughs> they laugh at us. You know? I mean, they don't have any, they don't, they're out of touch. They don't know what, we, what it's like for us. They don't know, they don't know what it's like to go to work every day or drive a car. They don't. These people are so mega rich. They have servants that cook their meals for them. They bathe them. They dress them. They do their laundry. They clean. They drive them everywhere. Do their shopping. Do all the work around their mansions. 
they just dress up and go talk, their mouthpieces, that's it, and do their drugs and their evil worship and everything. That's why they got so much time for that. They don't live our, the lives we live. They don't know what it's like. They don't know nothing about our lifestyles. That's why it was so out of touch. That's why they, they spend, like, they'll pay $200 for a hammer. They don't know what it's like. They can't, balance, they can't budget anything for us. They write these budgets. That's why the government's so out of touch with the people. Especially these ones that have been in office for so long. Joe Biden, 50 years, 51 years now, 52 years in office. He doesn't know what it's like to be a working man. He doesn't know nothing about the American people's problems or strifes. That's why they talk on the camera and they sound so stupid. That's why they have press secretaries that write everything for them. They got interns that come in. These people people are the chosen ones. It's a big club. You're not in it. They have no compassion for you, no feelings. And you got the mega rich people, like I said, the Rothschilds. They 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 hate us actually. And I don't really like that population control thing because if they they're not that stupid. If they wanted to populate control the population, they could. You know, this it trust me. Got eight billion people on this planet. Come on, they're not trying to control no population. All right. So that 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 right there's out the window. If they really wanted to, they could. No, they're not going. They're not going to destroy the planet yet because they got to make sure they have a way to survive. They're not going to nuke this planet and destroy it because they have to live here right now. But they they got their bunkers still. Yeah, but nobody wants to live underground for 35 years, 40 years while it clears up. They, these people are so far ahead in technology. 25 years, they say. 20, 25 years. I worked for the government. I know. They're evil. They lie. They're, they're out of touch. They're, like I said, they're out of touch with, with us. They don't know nothing about us, how we live. So they don't get it. That's why I get a kick out of these people. I like this guy. I like the puppet on the left. I like the puppet on the right. Hey, wait a minute. There's one guy holding up both puppets. You know, it's, it's, it's stupid. You know, but we're fighting amongst ourselves. For no reason. You know, and we have the power. We have the tools, man. We podcast. Like all these podcasters, I'm trying to unite everybody to come together. It's hard. It's like pulling teeth, man. And, you know, I, want, I, I hope everybody sends this, this, this stuff that we worked on here, this voter integration, inte- integrity thing that we've worked on. If all the podcasters and all the listening audience wake up tomorrow and start bombarding these people with emails... You'll we you'll see a change. I sent it to the I'm sending it to the uh, AP. I'm sending it to news uh, news outlets. Post on my social media. I'm gonna call these people live on my podcast. Put them out in front street. Expose them. Remember, when you expose when you bring light to darkness, it's it, it's 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 too different. It's an effect. You can make change. But the, the sheep out there, we're worried about Monday night football next week. You know, that's all we care about, right? Football, yeah! Are you ready for some football? You know, yeah, that's all we care about, the dumb bowl. Who's going to be in the dumb bowl this year? I don't know. It's all rigged. It's rigged. The play callers, the play callers, they can organize the structure of the game. Everything is calculated, yard by yard, everything. The only thing that's not calculated is if somebody drops the ball. And most times they don't. They're professionals. They, they, they know it. they're paid to catch that ball. They're, you think they drop it? <laughs> Man, it's rigged. It, it, 
Big money, the NFL. Big money. You don't think there's corruption and it's rigged? They know who's going to win the Super Bowl before, I think the, I, I forgot, I read, I read a book on this, well, 15 years ago, actually, it was about how the football's rigged and everything. And, and they, it's like a year prior, they know who's going to win the Super Bowl, yet, like uh, like a year and a half outward. I mean, it, it, it's it's crazy. It's all rigged. It's like boxing. Everybody knows boxing's rigged. I mean, it's all rigged, all the sports. So why do you want to watch it for? Why? You know, come on, man. Dude, you go to a concert today, they're lip-syncing. They're not even singing. They're not even performing. But there, are, there they are, shaking their asses, and they're jumping. Yeah, yeah, oh, my God. What's wrong with you people? I mean, we've got to have a serious change. We've got to have a, a, a very a serious, serious, serious change. I mean, we're in trouble, big trouble. Oh, let's see here. Let's see. The Constitution 101. Let's play this one here. The people of the several states did not cede their sovereignty and mold together into a unified and singular nation when they ratified the Constitution. In fact, one of the biggest fears brought up during the ratification debates was that the federal government would swallow up the states and lead to something they called consolidation. The supporters of the Constitution swore up and down that this would never happen. Even Alexander Hamilton, who certainly had nationalist ambitions, insisted that the Constitution would not entirely consolidate the states into one complete national sovereignty. In Federalist Number 32, he wrote that to do so would imply an entire subordination of the parts, and whatever powers might remain in them would be altogether dependent on the general will. He went on to explain this wasn't the intent and that the Constitution only aimed at a partial union. He wrote, the state governments would certainly retain all rights of sovereignty which they before had and which were not by that act exclusively delegated to the United States. slap in the face for everybody, okay, so all this, we are Americans, no, there's nothing wrong, you know, we're individuals, not only proud of your heritage too, nothing wrong with being proud of your race and your heritage and who you are and your people, there's Sarge in the chat room right there, there he is right there, the conve- from the Convention of States, proposal to limit le- legislative, executive, and judi- ju- jurisdictional authority of the federal government. Sarge, I mean, what do you think about these Constitution things that I've been uh, playing here? You, you were a big history guy there. I'm surprised you haven't called in yet. So, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is. I mean, these. If we don't understand the Constitution, I mean, this this thing with the states. I signed up for it. This. Uh, Convention of the States thing, I signed up for it, but, uh, you know, I did it on the advice of Pianchi and Sarge, uh, because I believe, I don't think they'd have me do anything that was going to be stupid or, be a, you know, unconstitutional, so that's why I went ahead and signed up, and then I read it afterwards, so, because I was on the phone with them, but, uh, you know, I, I still, I got some questions about it, but I see where they're coming from, I mean, uh, if you want to call in, Sarge, to talk about that, you can, uh, 
discuss that a little bit with me if you want to. And then, of course, remember now, tomorrow, like I said, I don't know my show. I'm going to be doing a little bit earlier during the day. Probably, you know, I don't know I don't know how many people are going to be able to tune in, but we'll be uh, doing, I'll be calling these people live. Okay, I think this might be Sarge now. Anybody else who wants to call in and press number one, by all means, you want to even, uh, I, I don't even know if, uh, uh, I know Warren's back, uh, Brother Warren there. Of uh, so if he, I thought he was going to be arrested over there in China, but you know, like so, uh, <laughs> or did he go to Africa? I don't know where he, wherever he went. But uh, even if he wants to call in, I'll give him a voice. So, but uh, let's see, let's see if this is Sarge. Go ahead, there, private caller. Is that you, Sarge? Yes, sir, it is. And I, I missed the, uh, the the. I only got the very trail in of the clip you were playing. And I would certainly like to respond to it because I'm, I'm undoubtedly it was significant. What was the gist of what that clip said? Yeah, yeah, that, that's about the power of the government there. I, they're only about two minutes long, the ones that I've been playing, so I'm going to do the other one too. I'll, I mean, I got a few of them up here, a bunch of them. It's on the Constitution. It's going by the Federalist Papers, and uh, you know, and, and could, because that's what I want to talk about here, the, the Constitution. You know, because people don't understand the Constitution, and and if they don't understand the tools that we have to fix the problems we have today, and that's why we have so much. Uh, Grinding and arguments and, and and fighting with each other. But I'll play this one. This is Jefferson versus Ham, Hamilton right here. Let's play this one right here. I got. Uh, then I'll play another one that's two minutes long, and then we can talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Jefferson was a uh, believed the necessary uh, and proper and laws was never intended to expand federal power at all. The way most people treat the Constitution's necessary and proper clause today. We could just as well call it the whatever is convenient and possible clause. But it was never intended to expand federal power one iota. In fact, in Federalist number 33, Alexander Hamilton said the operation of the government would be precisely the same if the clause never existed. But Hamilton famously flip-flopped a few years later when he used necessary and proper to justify his national bank. Thomas Jefferson vehemently opposed Hamilton's beaten switch, saying that the Constitution only allows the means which are necessary, and not just those which are merely convenient for effecting the enumerated powers. In other words, if an action isn't absolutely essential for carrying out a specifically delegated power, it isn't allowed. This wasn't merely some legal nitpicking on Jefferson's part. He understood that accepting Hamilton's expansive reading of the clause would subvert the entire Constitution, turning the federal government into one of virtually unlimited power. He went on to write that if such a latitude of construction could be applied to any non-enumerated power, it would go to everyone. For there is not one which ingenuity may not torture into a convenience in some instance or other. He said this would swallow up all of the delegated powers and reduce the whole to one power. That's why, Jefferson wrote, the Constitution restrained the government to necessary means, that is to say, to those means without which the grant of power would be nugatory. In short, Necessary and proper does not mean anything and everything. What do you think about that one, Sarge? 
Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, necessary and proper clause was never intended for an unlimited expansion of the federal government into whatever anyone could possibly envision they would want the federal government to do. The government, in the terms of the Constitution itself, was to be limited to specifically enumerated powers. Most of them are outlined in Articles 1 and 2 of the Constitution. Mainly, the Congress can legislate in everything that's in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution and the subsequent amendments. And that's supposed to be it, instead of this almost unlimited Leviathan that we have today. Everything else that's not specifically enumerated by the articles and the subsequent amendments is supposed to be left to the states, provided the Constitution does not forbid it to the state. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's very, very well said. That's correct. And, and now, I remember you and John Doe, you get into a little bit. I think you guys were discussing the supremacy. Were you guys talking about the supremacy clause that night, maybe? Is that well, what you guys were talking well, I tell about? You, I know something he said tonight that I heard him say on Sally's show that I want to take a bit of exception with, but I never got was able to get around to it. And that he said he thought that Congress should be able to limit the scope of executive orders by the president. Now, I understand his problem with executive orders. For instance, Barack Obama unconstitutionally and unlawfully created an entire department completely beyond the legislative scope of Congress when he created DACA. He had no authority whatsoever to create that in any possible reading of the laws passed by Congress. So he did it anyway. But as a matter of constitutional principle, the president has to be able to instruct his subordinates as to how he expects them to carry out the executive duties of the executive branches of the federal government because the president, after all, is responsible for them. And the president, when he gets elected, he runs on an agenda that he presents to the people for their consideration. Look, this is what I intend to do for the United States if you elect me. I intend to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do the other. Now, he's supposed to do that constitutionally and lawfully, but he has the absolute obligation and duty to do it. And if Congress tries to interfere with his lawful executive orders, then that is a violation of the principle of separation of powers. Principle over party. That, that, that leads me to the next one right here. So principle over party. I think this will address it then. Let's, well, it uh, should be. Because yeah. he, he, even the political yeah. matter is not supposed to override the Constitution, even politics. Because the supreme law of the land, no law of the land is over and above the Constitution. It says it right there in Article 6. This Constitution shall be the supreme law of the land. Everything, every single law, dog leash law, dog pooper scooper law, has got to be in accordance with the Constitution of the United States. If it isn't, it's invalid, null, and void. There you go. There you have it. Let me play this one right here. It's about a minute and 59 seconds long. For us, it's principle over party all the time. There are many examples of the founders warning about the power of factions, which would certainly include the massive political parties of today. Alexander Hamilton and James Madison discussed it in Federalist 9 and 10. In his 1796 farewell address, 
George Washington famously warned of the alternate domination of one faction over another. And in the New York ratifying convention, Melanchthon Smith said he'd only support his party as far as is consistent with propriety, letting other members know that his primary goal was to stand for his principles. In short, if you're dedicated to a politician or a political party rather than a foundational principle, you'll always be led on the wrong path and help set the foundation for what Washington called a more formal and permanent despotism. In 1763, a young John Adams noted that in every age, many of the best writers and speakers had wasted their skills in foolish, deluded, and pernicious flattery of one party while engaging in furious prostitute invectives against another. Today, our view at the Tenth Amendment Center matches his rejection of this partisanship when he wrote, I would quarrel with both parties and with every individual of each before I would subjugate my understanding or prostitute my tongue or pen to either. And there you have it right there. Right there. You, and what do I always say? The Constitution. The, fa- the Constitution. You know, I, Trump he could be wrong. You know, I, I, like I said, I, Kennedy, I would support Kennedy if, you know, if he got in there, if he, as long as he's going for the Constitution. I don't care if Democrat, Republican. That's not what it's about. But you see how many, but how many people today just vote along party. They don't care. It's Democrat. It's Republican. They don't care. You know, they, and that's what they're, how they're going to vote. It, it doesn't matter to them. You know, well, and, well, Joe, and but here's the problem with here's the problem with political parties though and the constitution. And this is the problem and I'll admit to you, it's a big problem. And I don't know how we're gonna overcome the undue influence of political parties. And this is why. Because the con- first amendment to the constitution gives the people the right to peaceably assemble and petition their government for redress of grievances. The first amendment also grants, according to Supreme Court decisions, the right of free association with others. Now, you take those two rights in concert, the people that means people have the right to organize themselves in whatever groupings they see fit in order to petition their government for redress of grievances or organize themselves politically to peaceably assemble and organize themselves. Therefore, it would be, I think, constitutionally impossible to outlaw parties. Now, what, what we need to do, Joe, though, is to limit their undue influence, and then we run into another problem. If we're going to do that legislatively, well, guess who puts up the people to be in the legislature to pass the laws that would limit the influence of the political parties, members of the two political parties. That's the problem. On the one hand, the Constitution is that this, you cannot forbid political parties. You just can't do it. Number two, you've got to get the people who are in office right now to pass laws that are going to limit their influence. How likely is that? That's the dilemma we're facing. Exactly. And the legislative branch, too, we don't, we, maybe we need a constitution party and to, to, to be the groundbreaker on everything. I mean, independent, you know, I, independence, I don't know what they stand for. Like here in North Carolina, in my county, we have more unaffiliated, the unaffiliated, that's what they're called, unaffiliated, uh, registered, uh, registered as unaffiliated than Republican and Democrats. 
So, you know, we have very few libertarians. We've got uh, – they recognize the Constitution Party. I've seen it on the State Board of Web, uh, Elections website. So I guess they're going to be on the ballot. I don't know so how that's going to work. But um, uh, we, the Green Party, I don't think – also, you know, so how, how do you – again, yeah, we're in this dilemma. What part – how are we going to do this? Because <laughs> well, Republican Democrats are destroying ways everything. We can do it. There's one of two ways we can do it. We can do it by constitutional amendment, and again – that's something that the Convention of States do, to somehow, uh, by constitutional amendment, limit the influence of political parties or factions. Or we can do like Adolf Hitler did, get an enabling act, combine the, the uh, offices of president and the legislature, you know, the Reichstag and the presidency, and just have an enabling act, and Hitler just did away with political parties and stuff in the Nazi party. Now, I don't think yeah, we want to do dangerous. that. I don't, I don't think we want to do that, so I think yeah, the former would probably be a better way to go. Yeah, yeah, because, uh, I mean, I just don't see a third party getting picking up uh, uh well, I don't well, it's kind of, well, again, that's kind of like, yeah, I've got to be careful, you know. We get this uh, rogue third party in there, and everybody buys into it, and then you get something, something pushed. you got to be careful, because right now you have the two-party structure just battling it out with each other, but then again... The branches of our government, we have what? We got we the we the people, obviously. You got the judicial branch. I mean, the legislative. I mean, it's just and the executive. So you know, it's it's we have the branches already. But the problem is, is that the parties. Once a Republican's elected, what are we trying to do? We're trying to get a Republican Congress, a Republican Senate. Where we're constantly doing that. Every single election, we got we have them for two years, and after that, it's divided again. Isn't that mysterious? Isn't that a little strange how that happens? It always well, works out that, that way. That, that, but, but Joe, that was part of the, the constitutional scheme. The reason that a House of Representatives terms are so limited, it's only two years. Remember, they have to stand for election yeah. every two years. That's really kind of a short period of time. They have the short period of time because they have to be most responsive to the people. That's why they call them the House of Representatives. They are the closest people in the federal government to you as a citizen. Now, the Senate, on the other hand, they got six-year terms. So you've got, got on the one hand, a body of Congress that is long-term and supposed to look to the long-term interest in the original Constitution before the 17th Amendment. Wait wait a minute. Before the 17th Amendment. The Senate looked to the interests of the state. The House of Representatives looked to the interests of the people. You had a real balance. But then they passed that stupid 17th Amendment, and now the Senate is nothing more than a supernumerary of the House of Representatives. Yeah, I know. I know. And that screwed yeah. everything up. It did. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, just, it's a complete waste. Of <laughs> now, See, what the was Senate the was supposed really to represent the states. The states yep. had a body in Congress that represented, they were elected by the state legislature, not by the general population of the state, not by that democratic means, but by a Republican representative scheme more consistent with the original intent of the Constitution. And so they were supposed to be immune from the day-to-day uh, activities that, and pressures that the House of Representatives is very much subject to. You had a balancing act between the two Houses of Congress, the Senate and the House of Representatives. Now, yeah. now the Senate is subject to many of the same pressures as the House of Representatives to the detriment of the states, ostensibly, they are supposed to be representing. 
Let me bring on another private caller. Oh, I think he just put his hand up. Well, no, I think private caller, I don't know if you want to come in here or not. Well, he had his hand up, then he put it back down, I think. So I don't know if he's if it's my board messing up or not, so I don't know if I'll I'll tell you what, if you don't want to speak, then don't say anything and I'll mute you back. But I'll unmute you. If you want to speak, then go ahead. Go ahead there, private caller. You want to speak? No? Okay, they had their hand up, and then they put it back down, so I guess they're busy, so... Well, you know, I mean, but look, look, we, we got, so like we I said, them. look at the, I think okay. the Constitution in its original form, once you got rid of the influence of the Fugitive Slave Clause, which, by the way, is still in there, you can't remove anything from the Constitution once it's there. You can amend it, but the original stands there to, to provide understanding for the subsequent amendments that might have changed. But once they got rid of the Fugitive Slave Clause... There wasn't much wrong with the original Constitution and, 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 and the subsequent Civil Rights Amendment. The problem so, is what we've done yeah. ever since. That's the problem. So, yeah, all right. So, so as, as a, uh, a state legislator, so, what, so as the House of Representatives, okay, so as a state legislator has the power of nullification. They've got a, a, a House of Representatives. They've got the power of nullification. Their nullification powers are very powerful a legislator, and they have and they oversee judges too. They can they can actually have a judge removed from a bench. They can actually arrest a judge. They have arresting powers at least here in North Carolina, actually. Even so, the um that that but there the, my hands are tied. Even if I'm elected as a, as a as a representative, I have to form a committee. To, to to sponsor legislation, and then I have to. You know, I mean, it's almost impossible to get something passed unless you have money, You're, uh, and you have the lobbyists or the and these special interest groups that are backing you. So it's impossible. How you know? The only thing I can do is is, is propose nullification on a lot of this stuff that's unconstitutional. I'm not going to get any legislation passed because I'm not unless I'm I get I get people to get back me on stuff. You know, I mean, all I mean, the only thing I can hope for is if I get elected here in North Carolina, is that I'm like a tiebreaker vote or something. You know, and where it's evenly divided between Republicans and Democrats, and I can use that power. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the only thing I can think of. Well, well because, now, when you I, know, could you cl- could you clear something up for me a minute ago? You mentioned something about nullification powers of the House of Representatives, and I understand the nullification is that when everybody refers to nullification in American constitutional history. They're referring to the action of the state to nullify laws or actions of the federal government. What, what were you referring to in, in context? I was referring to state state uh, state uh, laws, actually, the codes and statutes. I wasn't referring to as a state legislator uh, nullifying uh, federal. I, but could they? Could a state legislator nullify well, the federal? It's been done in American history. It was done in Kentucky, uh, the Kentucky Resolution of 1798 tried to nullify the Alien Sedition Acts in, uh, that were passed by uh, uh, John Adams. Uh, they didn't like it. They, they, they tried to nullify that. South Carolina tried to nullify two federal tariff laws in 1832. Arkansas attempted to nullify Brown versus the Board of Education. Uh, you had, uh, you know, uh, uh, so it's happened before in American history. Now, all of these nullification attempts were ultimately unsuccessful. But it's not like yeah. it hasn't been done before. It has been done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but again, you know, it's so, I mean, it's just, it's so, people just don't understand, again, the, I mean, the history have, of it. Have you never, ever heard of the Kentucky Resolution? I've heard of it, but I don't know what it's about. The state of Kentucky did? 
I mean, I don't the know, state I don't of know Kentucky, the legislature of the state of Kentucky said that the Alien and Sedition Acts were unconstitutional, and they, and they were void and of no force in the state of Kentucky. Really? And so, how yeah. that, I mean, is that, well, how does that play out today? Well, again, I don't think anybody wants to do it today. It came close to it now when uh, uh, the old Georgie boy Wallace blocked the door in uh, the University of Alabama in, what, 1964, 65, Yeah, he, he violated, uh, blocked the door, schoolhouse door, and that was an attempt at nullification, and the federal law or the order by a federal court had no effect in the state of Alabama, but that didn't last very long. I think mainly did that just show. He was just trying to put on a big show for his constituents. Yeah. Because they had no real... Well, let's go back to the Civil War. Go back to the Civil War. So, for instance, like, uh, this was um, this was stated here, like, this is from uh, a book re-inhabited, actually, uh, The Secret Agenda of the Kings of Earth. Uh, of the earth. It says, having previously pointed out that the importance of money as a key element in control and power of, of a uh, nation, uh, let's take a look at the financial situation of the United United excuse me, uh, the financial situation of the Union and federal government during the Civil War. In his State of the Union address before Congress on December 3rd, 1861, Abraham Lincoln responded to those who uh, possess, uh, poses capital might the bankers' argument that the people could not be trusted with their constitutional power. The political monetary system of free enterprise our founding fathers conceived by saying this, no men living are more worthy to be trusted than those who toil up from poverty, nonetheless inclined to take or, t- or touch uh, aught which they have not honestly earned. Let them beware of surrendering the political power, which they already possess, which, if surrendered, will surely be used to close the door of advancement against, each, against such as they and fix new disabilities upon them till all liberty shall be lost. What do you think about that one? <laughs> well, we, Evil. Well, we know... We know that Abraham Lincoln took several constitutionally problematic actions while he was president during the war between the states. But at least he had one thing to mitigate against his doing so. He was at least fighting a war at the time he did it. And we know in wartime, a lot of things are done that just don't fly and pass muster in peace time. So I understand that happening, and I would agree with you what he said and did there was problematic. He also suspended habeas corpus in Maryland when they were worried about, uh, you know, Maryland, the border state, uh, joining the Confederacy. Uh, so he, 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 he suspended the writ of habeas corpus. He locked up that con- congressman, the guy named Clement Vallandigham, who was a copperhead and was making near seditious remarks that weren't quite sedition, but they were very much against the Union cause, and he just locked them up and held them without the right of habeas corpus, and he invoked wartime powers or something like that in order to justify it. So we know that kind of stuff goes, just like Franklin Roosevelt and his unconstitutional and illegal internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. That shit happened. Now the question is, who's going to step forward and stop them from doing it? Well, well, they had to fund it. So the Greenback, 
the, green, uh, the greenbacks. That's how Lincoln funded all this. That's what he did. It says, President Lincoln later wrote Colonel Taylor to express gratitude and stated that following through on his advice resulted in giving the people of this republic the greatest blessing they, they ever had, their own paper money to pay their own debts. He explained his monetary policy just before the close of the Civil War in 1865. The government should create, issue, and circulate all the currency and credit needed to satisfy the spending power of the government and the buying power of the consumers. The privilege of creating and issuing money is not only the supreme prerogative of government, but it is the, gov- the government's greatest creative po- opportunity. By the adoption of these principles, the long-felt felt want for a uniform medium will be satisfied. The taxpayers will be saved immense sums of interest. Right? And discounts and exchanges, the financing of all public enterprise, the maintenance of stable government and ordered progress, and the conduct of the Treasury will become matters of practical administration. The people can and will be furnished with a currency as safe as their own government. Money will cease to be the matter, master and become the servant of humanity. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. He, and then they should blew his head off. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you that. well... <laughs> Well, you got to remember, too, now, he's worried about financing the Civil War. I mean, look, the United States had never had an expenditure anywhere remotely worth its life during the war between the states. And funding it was a big problem. And that's why they authorized the Treasury Department to start issuing paper money, like you just said. Because, I mean, that, I mean they, they there, was not, there was not why enough gold there to cover the expenses that the Civil War was going to incur. Just wasn't, there just wasn't enough money there to do it. So they literally yeah. created something out of thin air to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, why can't Trump do it? Trump gets elected. He talks about restoring the republic. That's the first thing he has to can do. Why can't he do that? We, we, uh, we do something along those lines. Why not? Uh, we have to break away from the Federal Reserve. We can't have a banking system that owns our, politi- our political system and then talk about we're going to restore the republic. It's impossible. It can't be no, done. I couldn't it agree with you more. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. I, I, would, I would argue with you about what the mechanism ought to be, but there's no doubt the Federal Reserve system's got to be reined in some way. Federal Reserve system being used to commit all kinds of mischief, all kinds of financial mischief. So there's got to be something. But, yeah. How do we pay but, for but we allowed we it to get so much out of hand, it is so bad. This debt we've got, this ever-expanding debt due to this unlimited amount that the budget ceiling can be raised, and the unlimited... I think I just lost you, Sarge. You just got disconnected there. It wasn't me. Sarge dropped. He got just disconnected there. <laughs> it wasn't me. So, Sarge, that was weird. They cut you off, Sarge. <laughs> COS won't work today. Oh, well, what's the COS? What's that? What's COS? I don't know what that means. What is that? COS. I don't know what that means. American Statesman put that in the chat room there. What COS won't work today? I, I don't. I don't know. Huh. I don't know what COS means. So you got me stooped there on that one. Oh, Sarge, you got disconnected. Uh, oh, Convention of the States. Oh, oh, Convention of the States won't work today. Okay. Convention of the States. Well, we'll have to get – when Sarge comes back, hopefully Sarge will come back in here and we can talk about that. Um, says, say, he just locked out of the chat room. He's logging back in. He must be having connection problems. <laughs> All right. So, well, Convention of the States, yeah, I want to talk about that actually real quick. 
So, uh, and anyone else who wants to join in the conversation, you're more than welcome. Six five seven three eight three zero six one six. I know it's late, and I don't, you know, I didn't uh, plan on doing this show, but I got a little fired up there when I was arguing with uh, Brother Warren there uh, earlier on uh, on uh, America's Statesman show. There, he just gets me going. That guy, I'm just, I don't understand his thinking or his logic behind the way he says things. But uh, let's see. All right, Sarge is back. Sarge, there you go. What happened, Sarge? Yeah, I don't know what happened, man. All of a sudden, I'm talking, and all of a sudden, I heard a beep, and I'm off. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Maybe, maybe okay. somebody in the Federal Reserve heard me saying that and decided to <laughs> shut me up. They got but, but look, man, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know, man. If we let the system get so bad, I don't know what choice. I honestly don't. The Federal Reserve is Leviathan and a monster, and it's gotten out of control. Now, the people who want to uh, want to wreck the United States love it that way because it gives them the unlimited power to finance nefarious things that are just the best interest of this country. Yeah. Uh, statesman wants to call in. America Statesman wants to call in. But uh, she made a comment there. Convention of the states won't work. So uh, I, I'm starting to disagree with her, though, on that. I used to agree, but I'm kind of thinking now that I'm looking into it. So explain it roughly again, the Convention of the States, this process now, just real quick, because a lot of people are dark in it, and they don't understand it. Well, the only constitutional convention that the United States ever had in its history was the first one that created the Constitution, uh, drafted the Constitution, and then sent it out to the states for ratification. We have not had a constitutional convention since then. Uh, every time the Constitution has been changed, it's been amended through the Article 5 amendatory process of Congress uh, by two-thirds vote of both houses, ratifying an amendment and sending it to the states so three-fourths of them could then ratify it. That's how every single change in the Constitution uh, since the Bill of Rights has been made. This would be the first time that citizens acting within each of the states would send delegates to Congress after two-thirds of them have decided a convention needs to be convened in order to propose changes to the Constitution. For the first time in the history of the United States after the original Constitution, it would be the states, people within the states, meeting together, drafting an agreement to send to Congress and let them know they have to announce, not approve, but announce uh-huh. a constitutional convention for the purposes of changing or amending or altering the Constitution. And this would be a first. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about the people's nullification here, because you just brought up nullification there. Let me play this. This is from the Founding Fathers here. This is from the Federalist Papers. After Samuel Adams and the Loyal Nine the Sons of Liberty took action against the Stamp Act to other colonies. Resistance to the Stamp Act began quickly in New London and Norwich, Connecticut. Resolutions urging resistance were passed at the Providence Town Meeting. Weeks later, massive crowns in Newport hung an effigy of the stamp distributor for Rhode Island. Augustus Johnson soon resigned. The hated custom collector, John Robinson, ordered the arrest of opposition leader, Samuel Crandall, but the sheriff refused to take action. Instead, he returned the warrant, saying it was impossible to carry out safely in the current climate. Sons of Liberty groups formed in New York, South Carolina, Maryland, and elsewhere, and direct resistance continued to spread throughout the colonies. As Murray Rothbard noted in his History of the Colonial Period, 
conceived in liberty, in order to nullify the Stamp Act, the first essential act was to put the Stamp Masters out of commission. This was a revolutionary act that the assemblies could hardly have done openly. And by November 1765, the stamped distributors and stamped paper had been put out of action by the direct revolutionary mass action of the people. But as John Dickinson would recommend less than two years later, colonial assemblies also had an important role to play, backing up the people. As most people believed Virginia had done, Rhode Island passed a resolution with a call for mass disobedience. Other colonies passed resolutions opposing the Stamp Act and calling for repeal. And 27 delegates from nine colonies formed the Stamp Act Congress, which issued a statement of principles against the Stamp Act and a formal petition to the Crown to repeal it. Other than Virginia, which was prevented from doing so by its governor, every colony approved the actions of the Congress. Once the Stamp Act went into effect, there was widespread disobedience by individuals and merchants. Even some government officials defied the act. For example, Peter Randolph, the Surveyor General of Virginia, advised all customs collectors to clear all arriving ships, even if they didn't have stamped paper. In court, a young John Adams argued that the Stamp Act was utterly void because it violated rights. He went on to say that when Parliament errs, it need not be obeyed. In the end, this combination of official declarations, mass disobedience, local resolutions, support from merchants, and non-enforcement by sheriffs and other local officials created a climate where the Stamp Act was unenforceable. Parliament ended up repealing it even though they didn't want to. This is what Rothbard called the People's Nullification of the Stamp Act. Next, we'll fast forward to see how this kind of strategy has played out in modern times. There you have it right there, huh? So let's see what they, let's see how it plays out in modern times here. Let's see what they say. The climate which led to repeal of alcohol prohibition was very similar to what led to the repeal of the Stamp Act. <laughs>
1927, more than 30,000 speakeasies were in business, and approximately 100,000 people brewed alcohol illegally at home. As the University of Houston study noted, prohibition failed because it was unenforceable. It wasn't for lack of enforcement effort on the federal level, but individuals, cities, and states resisted on a massive scale. In some cases, they even banned prohibition enforcement. Today, similar strategies are being used to nullify the federal prohibition of marijuana in practice. From individuals using or buying the plant, to businesses and employees risking prosecution to grow, transport, and sell it, millions of people are flat out defying federal prohibition today. Supporting these efforts, as of this recording, more than three dozen cities have decriminalized or legalized marijuana, while 28 states have legalized to some degree in spite of a complete federal ban. Like the response to the Stamp Act, the federal government has been unable to overcome this people's nullification and will eventually be forced to repeal. Next up, learn how similar strategies were used to nullify a federal pro-slavery law in the 1850s. Um, uh, uh, Joe? The climate which... All right, what do you think about that, Sarge? Yeah, uh, that that is a very accurate description of nullification that uh, did not even take place with any legislative action. It was just many of the states and the people and local entities self-refusing to enforce federal law or nullifying it either by state inaction or explicit laws to prevent the enforcement within the state. The most spectacularly unsuccessful. And I'd like to say one more thing about the convention that I forgot to mention. All right. This convention has a self-imposed restriction on it. They are restricting this convention to simply the proposal of amendments that would put fiscal restraints on the federal government, limit the jurisdiction and power of the federal government, and impose term limits. So those are the only three things, the three areas that they're willing to venture in for all those who are afraid that they'll go too far and just radically rewrite the Constitution into something that is completely unrecognizable from 1789. All right. Let me bring Pianchi on. Go ahead, Pian- 314. I think that's him. Yeah, that's uh, accurate. And uh, there is a, a grassroots proposal on nullifying federal law, the nullification amendment, upon approval of a resolution of nullification by three-fifths majority of the state legislature and all the federal government actions subject to said resolution of nullification shall immediately be null and void without force. That's what they've done with the Stamp Act. Yeah. Now, the now, to do those things right today. They don't do it. Well, American statesmen put it inside the chat room here. Let's see, Alex Newman, the Dark Money Funded Convention of the States Movement to open up the the U.S. Constitution to amendments in a constitutional convention appears to be a deep state plot to put the final nails into the coffin of America's constitutional republic. Warns the New American Magazine. Alex Newman in this episode of Behind the Deep State. Of course, deep state operatives have long been hoping to overthrow the Constitution and the limits on government establishes, uh, but they have. 
always failed while trying to use liberals. Now they are buying prominent conservatives and Republican legislators with shadowy, anonymous money and obviously deceptive arguments, and they are making much more progress than ever before. Deep state money, George Soros, meanwhile, is funding left-wing efforts to call on Article 5 conventions on the uh, Convention of the States side, one of Chief Mark Meckler's board members and close associates in the effort is actually a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, and this is a, just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, share this episode widely before it gets to, too late, and it's um, uh, obviously the episode about the, uh, the deep state. What do, you think, what do you guys say about that, Bianchi? Well, the proposals are already put out there, the three that Sarge just mentioned. Yep. And anything beyond that is not going in place. If you think 38 states would come together and uh, propose to do away with the Second Amendment, that's a far yeah. stretch imagination. It's kind of like well, yeah, chemtrails. Well, 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 how about this? But what I worry about is once we get these conventions of the states together, how far is their power going to last? I mean, is this a one-time thing, or is this going to be an every year? Or well, once they get and got this power, it will last it, forever. You can do it as many times as the states want to call a convention. I want to put the proposals out there, and okay. I think I told Sarge to send you an email. With yeah, I just put it in the chat water. room there, uh, Joe. It's in the chat room, the link. Okay. I put okay. it right there in the chat room. For you to get. But here's the thing, though. Right. If y'all understand it's right, there's, a, there's no limit to the amount of times you're allowed to call a constitutional convention. There never has been since Article 5 was ratified. So it's always been there. Now, I'm glad that people like Sally are raising the issue of the potential of mischief being done by nefarious uh, behind-the-scenes interests. She's right to raise that concern. That's always a possibility. But you've got to remember this, though. You've got to get three-fourths of the states to ratify this thing. Whatever it is, you've got to get three-fourths of the states to go along with it. I think that is one of the biggest safeguards against anything really radical being done, notwithstanding the abysmal state of civil education of much of the populace of the United States, especially young people. I still say, yeah. since it takes so many states to ratify it, I think that alone is a, is a fairly decent safeguard. But she's right. She is right to counsel uh, that we need to be on the lookout for all these nefarious, insidious, behind-the-scenes interests who would manipulate it to their own benefit, to the expense of the American people and our liberty. That's always a possibility. But again, we gotta be the Fifth Amendment has we been available be to the American people since 1789. But we've got to be careful with this paranoia crap. Every single time we get something together, it's always, well, we're being infiltrated. Oh, that's it. You know, I mean, look, I think people are scared of change sometimes, too. You know, look, man, we got to we, – obviously, we, something has to be done. The, you know, we, and if it's going in the right direction, if we're, if we're going to make a serious change, then let's do it because the road we're going down right now is a path into darkness and a bottomless pit. So we got to stop ourselves and, you know, go someplace else, you know, because we're not going the right direction right now, that's for sure. And, and, and again, I'd like to remind everybody, I, I want to keep stressing this, it's been amenable and available to the American people since 1789. It was in the original Constitution before the Bill of Rights was adopted. So it's always been there. We just haven't decided to avail ourselves of it. Yeah, I got it around. I think she's calling let's in right now, so let's connect her. Let's go ahead and connect her. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Pianchi. 
Just say something as simple. All bills before Congress should be about one subject, and that shall be expressed in its title. How often have we told, we heard that you got these bills that's got four thousand pages in it, and it's got all kinds of stuff and pork in it? Congress is not yeah. going to remove those opportunities themselves. It takes the people to do those things through yep. an article five. Yeah. Go ahead, Shelley. Hey, yes, um, let's put it this way. I trust the Convention of States as much as I trust our elections. So if you think our elections are correct and then ethical and honest, then I would believe that this would work because they can get in there and they can decide to change the rules right there. They they have – so, somehow people are thinking they're going to follow the rules, kind of like people think they follow the Constitution today. If we were following the Constitution today, we'd be in good shape. Uh, there's, you know, the reason to amend the Constitution is fine if you wanted to – Amend the Constitution to ban abortions or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. You, there's many reasons why we could amend the Constitution. But if you think those who don't follow the Constitution today are going to follow the rules uh, in a convention of states that it's going to happen there, I just I don't believe it. And I, myself, and, and um, if you go back on American Statesman, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, this was probably uh, was earlier this year. I had Alex Newman and... Um, uh, Susie, I think it was Suzanne. She was. They were debating it. We had the two of them on debating the Constitution of States, Convention of States, Convention of States, Kong at the Con Con, um, and why you couldn't do it. And, and Alex gave a lot of the reasons as to how they can manipulate the process. That's the whole point. If we had truly, if we had honest elections, we wouldn't need a Convention of States. <laughs> they kind of go hand well, in hand. Yeah. Depends well, on how much you I, want to trust either one of them. Well, you got to disagree because Article 5 gives you the right to have a convention of states, just like you have the right to have the elections. Well, you can't do it with laws. It's surely you're not going to abide by a law, and no law is pertaining to all the states. It's usually pertaining to one or two states. But if you can't, the people can't get your elected officials who swear to uphold the Constitution, that's the responsibility of the people. To make that work, you can't make, you can't tell New York that they can't allow illegals to vote. You can't tell Californians that they cannot allow illegals to vote on state and local elections. But you can constitutionally amend the Constitution and say that illegals cannot vote on federal elections. I'm not challenging what a, con- a convention of states could do. I'm challenging the ethics and the integrity of those who would be doing it. If, if the Constitution was enforced today as it's supposed to, <clears throat> excuse me, we wouldn't have the problems we have today. It's because we don't. We have a Congress who's delegated their authority to all these different agencies. All these other agencies are making laws that they shouldn't be making, et cetera, et cetera. So if we were following the Constitution today, we wouldn't, you know, we might have a change here or there. <clears throat> excuse me, we might make a change, but it wouldn't um, – but there would be no reason that a convention of states, if the people I think were the in convention favor of the states, uh, yeah, I think yeah. the convention of the states. I would like to see something if it was if, if it happens to restore our republic and restore our constitution, because we'd have to address the fact that we're not under the the organic constitution anymore. We're a corporation, so therefore we have to restore before we can get, pass a constitutional amendment. We have to restore the constitution. Don't you agree, Pianki? I mean, I mean, don't you agree well, with that? Well, Sarge proved last night that we're not under no corporation per se. But you got a state consent as many delegates as they want. 
And each legislature has the ability to propose amendments that has to be approved by 34 states. 34 states have to approve before it goes uh, for a ballot and to be ratified by 38 states. That's the faith in it. You know, they had assimilation about two or three weeks ago. You still can view it on YouTube yeah. where you had 50 uh, potential delegates, and they came forth and they worked out. You had some people come up in a mock and try to change the agenda as it was proposed, and they got shot down. Now, I have a question for Sally. Sally, you still there? Yep, I'm here. Okay, so now I, I look. I really appreciate the terms. I really, that was my original reservation for kind of rejecting the idea of the convention states because I was kind of in your camp. But I know the potential for uh, harm that could be done by this convention. Potentially, you're right. It can be. We can wind up with something far worse than we got today. But my question to you is this: Do are you opposed to this convention? because of this specific threat that you see by these individuals you mentioned at this time? Are you opposed to a convention of states just in general? And would you, under any circumstances, support a convention of states, given the fact that it has always been available to the American people since 1789? So I'm asking you to narrow it to something very specific. Is it this particular convention? at the behest of these particular individuals, or is it a general objection to the idea of a convention of states? I would say due to the change in the culture of these radical, whatever you want to call them, that are out there, um, the same ones who have totally corrupted the elections, I, I, the same attitude, whatever, same, uh, I don't trust it today. I think I would have at one point in time. I would have supported it, but I don't today because of the culture. We, we have people out there willing to do anything. Uh, they, they, they have no ethics. They have no integrity. They, it's an unrestricted war, silent war, with, or quiet war, whatever, silent weapons for quiet wars. All the things that they're doing today, uh, I would not trust them. I, I, I have absolutely no confidence. We may, they may, we may go in there and have a completely renewed, um, reviewed, or I should say revised, constitution, which is what some people say. There, I don't ask me. I haven't got the details, but... Somebody would say they've already gotten this new constitution sitting in the back room over here, and they just want mm-hmm. that, that convention of states to go and say, well, this one's going in the shredder, and this is the new one right here. And, that, that's uh-huh. and of course, now when you talk about um, going through the whole process and getting it approved and ratified and all that kind of stuff, um, based on what we see today with the, the public awareness, whatever, I'm not real sure I would be confident that what, this, what these people would say well, again, if we have a bunch of illegals voting for whatever way they want to, whatever they get way, pay the way they're paid to do things, I don't know. The system is so corrupt today, I don't know that you could have an honest convention of states, and that's really what it comes down to. If I thought we had true honesty and, okay. and integrity, we could. At the same time, I truly believe if we weren't in such a mess and someone wanted to say life begins at the heartbeat or something like that and they wanted to have a, a uh, amendment to the Constitution, they could go and approach something like that. Some of the other things that we say we want to have a conventional state or amendments for, if you really read the Constitution, you don't have that problem. There are definitely things I would like to see changed. I want to change the control of executive orders and emergency powers and these kind of things because these presidents have become dictators. So I have a lot of things. I mean, I won't say yeah. 
But I have several key things yeah. I'd like to see changed in the Constitution. I just don't think you can trust the conventional states to do it. Okay, I, I well, understand your concern. I don't necessarily agree with it uh, in all particulars, but I definitely understand, and to some extent I certainly share your concern, so I get it now. At least I Bianchi understand your said, object. Pianchi said that you proved that the United States isn't a corporation, Sarge. Did you read 28 yeah, U.S. Code 3002? Here's what I did do, Joe. I, I was having a discussion with another individual on, on, on um, Laurie's show, uh, or was it Donnie's show? Yeah, Donnie's show. And they cited to me their uh, sources for believing that the uh, United States was a corporation. They gave okay. me their site, which was, now, I'm, again, I did this based upon what they gave me as proof that the United States was the Constitution. On that basis, I believe I proved that it is. And what they cited to me, Title 28, Part 6, Chapter 176, Subchapter 8. And, and they went down to the Section 3002 of Definitions. And they went down to uh, Part 15 in that section, and they said, quote, and this, this is what it says in that definition. Quote, United States, unquote, means, paragraph A, a federal corporation, B, an agency, department, commission, board, or other entity of the United States, or C, an instrumentality of the United States. On that basis, I went and looked up the definitions for a federal corporation. And after looking up the definition for a federal corporation, I found that a federal corporation only applies to those agencies established within the United States government that are created for the purposes of collecting a federal debt. They do not apply to the states in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Okay, because this is what key point here. Congress created a corporation either called the United States or one called something else, but that is doing business as United States. For example, USPS is a corporation created by Congress and does business as U.S. Post Office. Uh, United States in Congress assembled uh, still exists. United States did not become or transform into a corporation. Congress merely created a corporation. They both exist. The United States federal government, the United States the corporation. United States – when used geographically, means District of Columbia and the territory. See 26 U.S.C. 7701A, subsection 9 and 10. Also read the Income Tax Challenge, a transcribed interview with David Williams of No Thanks IRS. Those are good references right there. Note that in the tax code, the United States is usually not a geographic reference. Let that sink in right there. In the tax code, meaning Title 26 of the U.S. Code, United States means the federal government or the corporation. What's more in the context and context is everything. Citizen means an office holder or employee. Uh, United States of America is the name for the Alliance Union of the 50 states. This really only comes up in international matters. 
both our alliances don't care to be carried out either by state and matters what matters. United States in Congress assembled man, uh, manages the government. United States, the corporation, is the corporation created by the United States in Congress assembled to do all the work of the government. Basically, they created a corporation, delegated seemingly every duty to this corporation. For all, for all we know, this, uh, you know, it, it gets confusing. Let me give you a concrete example of what you are familiar with, and I know you know about, that it's actually a government corporation, a federal government, United States government corporation. United States Postal Service, because it provides a market-oriented product or service, and it's intended, even though it doesn't do it, we know it doesn't do it, but it's supposed to uh, produce revenue that meets approximately what it has to spend. So that's one example. The FDIC is another one. The Government Corporation Control Act is another one. Those are all government corporations, but they do not transform the United States into a corporate entity. And you know another thing, too. Title 26 is the Internal Revenue Code, which has 801 parts. That's all it is, the Internal Revenue Code. Title 28 is the Judiciary. Title 25 applies to... uh, Hang on, wait a minute. Title 25 applies to Indians. I mean, that's just what they're about. They are the standing laws in the United States. They call the Roman law. Roman, the, the Roman, R-O-A-M-I-N-G, not the Romans and the Julius Caesar. The Roman statute. But what about? What but they are. but all, for all that we know, all I know is in legal matters, not lawful, legal, and for all practical purposes, okay. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the United States either means, what, a, number one, a corporation speaking to its employees who hold the office of citizens, or number two, the federal government speaking to its employees also called citizens. It does not mean the good, uh, good old U.S. of A. I'm not their citizen. They have no jurisdiction over because yeah. I'm a state citizen of the state, right? Yeah. I was not. I was born, not birthed, and consequently a national citizen of the U.S. USA. Uh, uh, you know, it doesn't carry around a passport, but, but and has the right to stay, right to right status. Doesn't you know? Doesn't have that right status. So, so the part of the U.S. Code clearly shows that. One can be without, uh, I guess you say, uh, if you go to U.S. Code 281746, for instance, uh, if executed without the United States, I declare uh, under the penalty of perjury the laws of the United States of America that the foregoing is true and correct. That, that's how you, that's how you uh, declare under the penalty of perjury. If executed within the United States as territories, possessions, or commonwealth, I declare or certify, verify, or state under the penalty of perjury that the foregoing is true or correct. So if uh, that, so, what's the difference between national citizen and state citizen and federal citizen? <laughs> well, oh. you know, it, 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 one thing. Hang on for a second. Why did they go to twenty-eight? Twenty-eight Title Twenty-eight only applies to the ju- judicial administration. It has nothing to do with citizenship. Whoever made that up could have chosen one of forty-nine remaining. They could have said Title 49, which is transportation. They could have said Title 14, which is the Federal Aviation Administration. Yep. That's, That's all right. they apply to. I mean, the, the, the Title 28 involves judiciary and judicial proceedings. And remember, this is what they gave me as their site for why the United States is a corporation. So, again, all these other matters are something I'm off of to research them. But based on what they gave me, and I wasn't researching. I looked at what the Congressional Research Services, Service Tribes Corporation, 
which is on the Federal Register as a corporation, and it has nothing to do with anything that applies to any of the states. It is all internally within the federal government and its agency. The EPA is a federal corporation. The EPA, because it's a federal agency. It's incorporated within the United States to carry out market-oriented services. That's why it's a corporation. But it doesn't change the definition that says the United States shall guarantee to each of the states a small r Republican form of government. Nothing in that law modifies Article 4 whatsoever. It's just like Title 49, which is transportation. If Congress passes an act, it goes into Title 49. It's interpreted by Budovich. He's the secretary Bo- of transportation. Booty Biden called him booty he, juice. Yeah. Listen, well, sorry. He's the secretary you know. of transportation. Then he makes rules based on his interpretation of that new act. Now, if you, Joe Gibson, has a problem with his rule, that's when you take it to court. It becomes an argument. And the courts decide whether or not Budovich rule complies <laughs> with what Congress put in place. Okay. Well, fully two years after the war, the Radical Republican Congress passed the 24th Amendment and it refused to seat Southern members, declared martial law over all the Southern states, sent troops to occupy the South, forced them to adopt the 13th and 14th Amendments, then sent federal courts into the states to administer their power. It took the South over 100 years to recover. The 13th and 24th Amendments increased Congress's power, which is being exercised in its fullest form today over all the states and their citizens through their power to create corporations and issue forced loans by negotiable Paper. The states always had the power to create corporations and to grant citizenship, but the Congress only had the power to regulate naturalization. And the state constitutions limited that to free. Uh, to, to, to free. Now, while free. Now, 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 this is to get, now we get into the blacks and white issue because you get into slavery and, and freedom. Congress was busy. Wait, Joe, Joe, excuse me, Joe, 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 before you go any further, you said the 24th Amendment. That wasn't ratified until 1964. Are you sure you meant the 24th Amendment? 24th. I said 13th and 24th. The 24th Amendment was ratified in, in 1964. Well, it said the 13th and, and 24th Amendment increased Congress's power. Which well, that was the rights of the citizens. Yeah, that's a voting rights amendment uh, uh, in a primary. The right of citizens of the United States to vote in any primary or other election president shall not be denied or abridged because of failure to pay a poll tax. Yeah, and the 13th Amendment, according to the Federal Registry, did not have enough states present in the vote count to pass so it I, in order 14. Well, well, I think Joe's got the wrong amendment. I think, Joe, which amendment are you referring to? I don't think you meant to refer to the 24th. You mean the 14th? That, that, well, I said, I said 13th and 14th. That's what no, I said. No, you said 24th. Okay, yeah, well, I meant 13th and 14th. Okay, okay, go ahead. Okay, I got it straight. I I was definitely confused. All right, go ahead. (laughs) Well, you know, look, you know, it's it's obviously that 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 we're you know. Hang on for a second, Joe. Hang on for a second. The only uh, Amendment Thirteen only has two sections. One that talks about slavery and our involuntary servitude. Then it says, as all of them do, 
It gives Congress have the power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. That's all it is in the 13th Amendment. Now, the thing is, when you go to the Federal Registry, when you, you can go back to those proceedings that was held, when they done the I's, the yeas, and the nays, there was not enough yeas in order to pass the 13th, nor the 14th. Maybe that's why come Mississippi didn't finally uh, ratify <laughs> the 14th until 1995. Well, that's that's possible. I mean, you know, we have, we you know, you have to look at this. So you, you can know. go back. You can go check the register. You can go check the register of your date. It reveals what's talked about in congressional proceedings, and it also it reveals the count of the states that voted yay and nay on anything that was pertaining to a state vote. Well, then explain to me, explain to me the, the, the District of Columbia Organic Act of 1871, the act which many people have, have, you know, basically turned America into a global corporation at the hands of international bankers. I mean, that's it's a fact. I mean, also explain U.S. Code Title 28, Part uh, 4, is it? Part 5 or Part 6? Uh, I think it's Part 6, maybe. Chapter 176, Subchapter A, 300228 U.S. Code uh, 3002. That's the one that started. Well, I'm going to pull it up right now, as a matter of fact. It's where you said you read it the other night. It says, a counsel for the United States means a United States attorney, assistant United States attorney, uh, designated to act on behalf of the United States attorney, or attorney with the United States Department of Justice with a federal agency who has litigation authority in. All right, B, any private attorney authorized by contract made in accordance with Section 3718 of Title 31 to conduct, conduct litigation for collection of debts on behalf of the United States. Section 2 means court. Court means a court created by the Congress of the United States, excluding the United States tax court. Debt means an amount that is owing the United States on account of direct loan. Um, this, is, this, is, uh, this goes into all the, you know, uh, prejudgment remedy, property, uh, 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 security agreements. What chapter were you reading? What chapter did they refer you to? All right, here it is right Pardon here. Me? State. Well, excuse me? Oh, you want to know what I was what just chapter? reading? Okay, hang on. I'll go. 28 U.S. What Code 3002. Did it do mention chapter? Uh, okay, if it, so that has to be chapter 3. 28 has uh, 11 chapters. The first chapter, Department of Justice. The third is first and second chapter has to do with the Department of Justice. The third chapter is Federal Prison Industries. Yeah, and it goes state means any several states of the District of Columbia, the Commonwealth, Puerto Rico, the Commonwealth of the Northern Marinas, or territory possession of the United States. Yeah, but it talks United about States means the judiciary. what? It's, it's, it's about but, the courts, Joe. Who but hang on, if you go to 15, if you go to 15A, hang on, Bianchi, go to 15A, what, it says United States means what? A, a federal corporation. B, an agency, department, commission, board, or other entity of the United States, or C, an instrumental, uh, instrumentality, I can't pronounce that word, of the United States. So it gives you the three definitions right there. It's a federal corporation. Yeah, but with, yeah, federal corporation is an agency within the federal government that performs a market-oriented service or other service. It relates to an agency within the purview of the United States. For purposes of the statute. Yeah, but, but so you're saying the United Congress States isn't a corporation, Sarge? 
No, it's not. No, it's the not. It's not making the United States a small pressure by any means whatsoever. No. Absolutely not. In the, in the, in the numbers that you're citing, don't, uh, Title 28 don't even go at that high. It goes up to 1,100. That's it. Yeah. And, and, and again, see, the, reason, the reason they use those words like United States is for purposes of identifying the authority that the federal agency has. It's under the authority of the United States as a federal department or entity. No, no, no. Wait, so, Sarge, we've been over this a million times on my show about this. About this. Have you gone to the Republican website? I know, and that's United why States I was website? confused. That is why I was confused until I read the law itself. And then it all what law are you reading? Why people are, are so, why people had this alternate explanation for why the United States all of a sudden became a corporation. It's a, it's a North well, Carolina was taken. North Carolina became was taken by the United States military as a result of the Reconstruction Acts one, two, and three. These acts imposed on us military dictatorship, okay, and an election, a method of changing our constitution and constitutional all foreign to our to our organic law. Our constitution therefore has been dormant, but not dead since that date. Yo. You have to have a standing statue. What is the standing statue? The there is States no statue in a, in, a, in a republic. We don't have statues. Na- we don't go by statues. I'm a man. States, I don't, I'm not a statue. The, the, the Code of Federal Regulations, the United States have 50 standing statues throughout this country. They, and yes, you say they codify the laws, Bianchi. Yeah, yeah, yes, but, they codify yeah, the laws. But 28, so what's the number? 28 applies to judiciary. It does not have anything to do with one Hang on, okay, let me get back to well, it. Why don't you, I tell you what, I tell you what. You go look okay. up Title yeah. 28. You go yourself, look up Title 28, and find the, the subparts that you're reading. They don't exist. I just yeah. did. I and read them to you earlier. I read them to you earlier. There's something else that Joe brought up that I'd like to address because I think that feeds into this misunderstanding. And it has to do with the way the 14th Amendment was ratified. And now on that basis, Joe, you're on solid constitutional ground. You want to know why? Because when they originally proposed the 14th Amendment to the states, the Confederate states were excluded from consideration to send it to the states for ratification. They are, in fact, President Johnson objected to the 14th Amendment because Congress was only representing 25 of 36 states. The 11 Confederate states were excluded from considering the 14th Amendment. Then the, the rump Congress addressed without the Confederate states addressed the 14th Amendment. They declared it uh, passed by a two-thirds majority. Then they sent it to the states for three-fourths ratification without the consent of the Confederate states. That was the exactly. argument against it. Yes, and they needed to have 27 states to ratify it. They didn't have 27 states. No, because they excluded the Confederate states because they weren't going to, to, to send it out for ratification. They wouldn't have exactly. gotten it if they had kept the 11 the Confederate thing. states in the, in the, in, in the House of Representatives. 
And the same thing was in the 13th Amendment. You needed 27 states to have three-quarters of 36 in order to ratify. They didn't have the count. Well, an unconstitutional act, all right, an unconstitutional act is not a law. It confers no rights. It imposes no duties. It affords no protection. It creates no office. It is a legal contemplation as an operative as though it never had been passed. Therefore, an unconstitutional act purporting to create an office gives no validity to the acts of a person acting under color of its authority. Norton versus Shelby. It was okay. a constitutional uh, the act was constitutional. You just didn't have enough to ratify. Okay, if that's exactly. The Here's the problem. Here's the problem with it, guys. Hang, hang, hang on, real quick. I just got one more point. If that's the case, slavery never ended. <laughs> no, well, you actually didn't. They enslaved us all by the Fourteenth well, well, Amendment. Wait a white oh, and black. They enslaved wait, all I, of we us. We got to separate now. Now, the Thirteenth Amendment did receive popular support, even the Confederate states. At the end of the war, the United States wanted to get rid of slavery. So the 13th Amendment wasn't problematic. The 14th was. Because look here. Three northern states that had ratified the proposal later rescinded their votes before it was adopted. And not only that, all of the southern states, except Tennessee, voted against the amendment, even though they were making an implied threat that if they didn't ratify the 14th Amendment, they would not be readmitted to the Union. Now, Tennessee and these other states that were threatened with this only changed their stance after they made the threat explicit by threatening to send federal troops back in the, back in the South and make them accept it at the point of a bayonet. And so that's dark. when it got ratified. Okay, but Sarge, all this was readdressed again, this stuff. Okay, Bianchi, <laughs> I want you to go to Senate Report 93-549. This report of the Special Committee on Termination of the National Emergency United States Senate, 93rd Congress, first session report number 93-549, details how national emergency powers have been held over the nation for, the la- for at least 40 years since 1933. At least these special powers have been used and maintained since Executive Order Number 1 made by Abraham Lincoln. So read that, and you'll see right there what I'm talking about. We're a corporation. We've been under the Emergency Powers Act. We don't have no constitutional rights at all right now. They state it in this report. They say The only it. way you don't have you, – you the, the Constitution has no on-off switch. It's on all the time. In fact, yeah, that's what Lincoln said. Lincoln said the, the, God, that the Constitution never ceased to apply to the Confederate States. Then they how were not can we be charge? He said they couldn't withdraw from the that. Union. So that meant that according Sarge. to Lincoln's own belief, that the, that the Constitution never was not applicable in any of the Southern States. During the Civil War. Since March 9, no, 1933, the United States has been in a state of declared national emergency. In fact, there are now in effect four presidential proclaimed states of national emergency. In addition to the national emergency declared by President Roosevelt in 1933, there are also the national emergency proclaimed by President Truman on December 16, 1950, during the Korean conflict, and the states of national emergency declared by President Nixon on March 23, 1970, and August 15, 
1. These proclamations give force to 470 provisions of federal law. These hundreds of statutes delegate to the president extraordinary powers, ordinarily exercised by the Congress, which affect the lives of American citizens in a host of all-encompassing manners. This vast range of powers taken together confer enough authority to rule the country without reference to normal constitutional process. Under the powers delegated by these statutes, the president may seize property, organize and control the means of production, seize commodities, assign military forces abroad, institute martial law, seize and control all transportation and communication, regulate the operation of private enterprise, restrict travel, and in a uh, plethora of particular ways control the lives of all American citizens. That is your Senate report right there. They addressed this again. You, you know, have no Joe, rights. Joe, let me ask you something. What allows a statute to exist? It's the Constitution. So are you no. saying that the, wait a minute, are you saying that a child gave birth to the mama? Supremacy clause, Joe. I just read you the Senate report. Joe, the Constitution is supreme law of the land, not some unconstitutional executive order or statute. And how is that working out for you today, Sarge, and everybody else in this country? Uh, Are we we operating constitutionally? Yeah, but Joe, Joe, you're making a different argument now, and I'd like to deal with that argument. But there's no way I'm going to say that the thing you just cited is in any way constitutional, any more than Roe versus Wade was. Yes, but they probably made powers. it. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that it's constitutional and we're supposed to obey it. So what do we do then? And the thing too, what are you going to do? And the thing, too, Joe, Joe, <laughs> I don't care if it's a hurricane, it's a COVID-19 pandemic, whether it's a war or whatever the hell, you cannot cut the Constitution off. If you on. enter into a contract, you can. Your contracts put no, the Constitution null and void. The Constitution permits contracts to exist. You think the Constitution would permit something that's going to kill it? It don't work like that. <laughs> now, the only way to kill the Constitution is to have a Constitution convention Amendment. that would completely end it and rewrite something different. That's the only way to get rid of the Constitution. The only way. <laughs> I just don't understand. Uh, yeah, like, don't Joe, understand. Joe, Joe, please, Joe, Joe, don't misunderstand me. I understand when you point out to me something that is wrong and unconstitutional and tyrannical. I'm with you there, Jack. We got it. But don't tell me it's constitutional and we're supposed to obey it because we ain't. So prior to the Reconstruction Act and the unconstitutional 14th Amendment to the Constitution, the federal government had no control and no authority over the lives of our property of the people of the several states, in direct contrast to the intentions of the founders of, the, of America. We now see a total invasion by the federal government, right, in nearly every aspect okay. of our lives, right? Okay, We're no now, longer a, now, you're making, now you're making an argument that I can agree with. Okay. Now you make it on and that's why we that's why me and Pianchi and people like me are, are starting to look favorably at a convention of states. For that very reason you just cited. To rein in this federal government that refuses to honor its constitutional limitations. 
But we're no longer state. We're no longer uh, longer authoritative state citizens exercising constitutionally protected liberties. We are. Uh, we have too. become That's subjugated U.S. Are. citizens, begging, begging, overbearing we federal are. government for some semblance of freedom. <laughs> Joe, you know we, that's not true. We are the Constitution reigns supreme. Now, if you want to give it up, well, then you give it up. But it's no, up but no, we were forcible. We gave it up. Forced. They forced it upon us. They they came in and they came in here in North Joe, Carolina. And nobody, <laughs> well, they didn't force it on me. Oh, they, well, they came I, in. I think the, he's talking about. I think he's talking about the Fourteenth Amendment and the way it was unconstitutionally ratified. Cause they, Pretty much evidence is pretty clear. The court it was unconstitutionally ratified. That, that issue has been taken to the courts, and the courts said that it's up to Congress to straighten it out. It's the same right. way with the But we don't have a Congress that's the for the people no more, Bianchi. We don't have a Congress for well, the people well, by the why people. Do you, then, Joe, why did you vote for them? Why Bianchi. did you pay them? Through the Reconstruction Act and the forced amending of the Constitution, a military coup occurred and put was put into place. But the government, you know, government, for instance, of North Carolina, which is operating today, no longer a government of consent by the lawfully authorized people, but one of fraud, coercion, and force. Our Constitution has been what dormant, but not dead. It hasn't to? been. It's not dead, but it's dormant. Yeah. But wait a minute. What uh, state did uh, the Reconstruction Act apply to? It didn't apply to Michigan. It didn't apply to Missouri. Right. Well, where those Joe, states you gotta the Joe, Joe, you got to remember, when they passed the Reconstruction Act, that was before the statute, not the Constitutional Amendment, but the statute called the Posse Comitatus Act, which meant federal troops could be used to enforce civil law, and they were in the South. On the basis of the but, we, but, but, but I don't understand something, Sarge. Listen to this. This is a letter, right? This is a, letter, a surrender letter by the governor, Governor Jonathan Worth, to the governor of uh, G.W. Uh, G. Holden. Listen, after being informed of the military's intent to execute General Order 120, the letter includes an excerpt of General Order 120 and Governor Worth's protest to the actions intended. It says, Dear Sir, yesterday morning I was verbally notified by Chief Justice Pearson that in an obedience to a telegram from General Cam- Canby, he would, he would today at 10 a.m. administer to you the oaths required uh, preliminary to you entering upon the discharge of your duties of civil governor of the state. And then, therefore, you would demand possession of my office. I, in, I intimated to the judge that my opinion that such proceeding was premature, even under the Reconstruction legislation of Congress, and that I should probably decline to surrender the office to you. At sundown yesterday evening, I received from Colonel Williams, commander of the military post, an extract from the General Orders 120. General Kennedy as follows. This is what it says. It says, uh, Headquarters, 2nd Military District, Charleston, South Carolina, General Orders, number 120, to facilitate the organization of the new state government. The following appointments are made to be Governor of North Carolina. W.W. Uh, uh, w. Holden, Governor-elect, Vice Jonathan Worth, removed to be Lieutenant Governor-elect of North Carolina, Todd R. Caldwell, Lieutenant Governor-elect to fill our original vacancy, to take effect July 1st, 1868, on the meeting of the General Assembly of, of, Nor- of North Carolina. 
I do not recognize the validity of the late election and under which you and those cooperating with you claim to be invested with the civil government of the state. You have no evidence of your election, save the certificate of a major general of the United States Army. I regard all of you as, in effect, appointees of the military power of the United States and not as deriving your powers from the consent of those you claim to govern, knowing, however, that you are backed by military force, which I could not resist. If I would, I do not deem it necessary to offer a futile opposition, but vacate the office without the ceremony of actual eviction, offering no further opposition than this, my protest. I would submit to actual expulsion in the order to bring before the Supreme Court of the United States the question as to the constitutionality of the legislation under which you claim to be the rightful governor of the state. If the past action of the debt tribunal furnished any hope of a speedy trial, I surrender the office to you under what I deem military duress, without stopping as the occasion would well justify to comment upon the singular coincidence that the present state government is surrendered as without legality to him whose own official sanction but three years ago declared it valid. There you go. We're under military rule since then. No, we don't have a constitutionally elected governor. Let me ask you a question, Sorry. Who makes laws in this country? It's Congress. Uh, not the court. It's Congress, the legislature. Not the court. It's the legislature. So he, I don't know what's going on with that guy. Maybe he was under military duress, and he made mention about states. So where's the state legislature? They had succeeded. They was trying to bring them back in. They were kicked. They were under military. (laughs) But you don't understand. This is one example of one state. That's go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sally. Yeah, just I I put to me what I just posted in the chat is somewhat of the summary that most of us understand this to be, and says what Congress did. Congress did by passing the Act of 1871 was to create an entirely new document, a constitution for the government of the District of Columbia, an incorporated government. This newly altered constitution was not intended to benefit the republic. It benefits only to the corporation of the United States of America and operates entirely outside of the original constitution. Instead of having absolute and unalienable rights guaranteed under the original constitution, we the people now have relative rights or privilege. One example is the sovereign right to travel, which has now been transformed under the corporate government policy into a privilege that requires citizens to be licensed. This, I mean, this to me is somewhat of a summary. You go to that same link, and it goes through yeah. what the difference is of being a network. And you can look at this, look at your Social Security card or whatever else that you drive. Yeah. Like, they put your name in all caps. Because you're not an yeah. individual, you're part of the corporation. It's, it's all, We're not it's, it's citizens not anymore of a republic. Yeah, you're right, Sally. You're absolutely correct. So therefore, Thanks. until Thanks. we re-inhabit that original constitution and our republic, we can't do anything constitutionally. We can't. There's your, no con- You know what? We're, we're not operating, Bianchi. Your driver's license is issued by the state. It's not issued by the federal government. But your Social Security card is. They're doing the same thing. Your Social Security card is only supposed to be used for tax purposes. Look at the Social Security Act. It's only supposed to be used for tax purposes. It's not supposed to be a driver's license number or none of that stuff, just for tax purposes. And here's another thing. Wait a minute. 
my wife has an I-10 number that we use to file taxes with. It's not in all capital letters. I, okay. Uh, <laughs> but it, That could be a state thing. I don't know. I can't say. Yeah, I, I well, mean, we're nitpicking here. I'm, I'm, little, I'm talking about the bigger picture. That letter I just read to you was the last governor, the lawful constitutional governor of my state. We have not had a, an elected constitutional governor under the republic since then. So how, until we restore our republic and re-inhabit those seats of that governor's office lawfully and under the republic de jure system, we can't okay. do anything else. Okay, now we're dealing again with the Organic Act, District of Columbia Organic Act of 1871. I'm looking right now at the text of this law. I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at chapter, uh, was it, 62, an act to provide a government for the District of Columbia. That's what it says, chapter yeah. 62. An act of yeah. for the District of Columbia, not for the United States or any of the individual the states. Of the here's, what it, not, wait a minute, here's what it says, because it's not that long, it's one paragraph. It says, being enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America and Congress assembled, that all that part of the territory of the United States, included within the limits of the District of Columbia, so they only refer to the limits of the District of Columbia, shall be... And the same is hereby created into a government by the name of the District of Columbia, by which name it is hereby constituted a body corporate for municipal purposes, meaning city, and may contract and be contracted with, sue and be sued, plead and be pleaded, have a seal, and exercise all the powers of a municipal corporation, not inconsistent with the Constitution and laws of the United States and the provisions of this act. It only deals with that jurisdiction of the District of Columbia. Only that's that. right. Yes, that's right. And that District of Columbia runs the United States. It runs every other state today, right? No, 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 it doesn't. No one's enforcing the organic yeah, constitution. That's the whole point. The District of Columbia is under a different constitution than the rest of us. That's what it is basically. So yes, if the federal government is following a District of Columbia is a municipality, just like St. Louis don't run the state of Missouri. But why did they go and change the, the constitution to say of or for, okay, whichever okay. way it is? Okay, Just they didn't. Wait a minute, folks. Wait a minute, folks. Here's what Article 1, Section 8 says about the District of Columbia, the seat of government. This is what it says right there in Article 1, Section 8. To exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such districts as may, by session of particular states, Maryland, Delaware, and the acceptance of Congress, become the seat of the government of the United States. This is one more provision that they enacted to do exactly that, and it only applies to the District of Columbia. Okay, here we go. Let me read this to you real quick, and the significance, okay? Because, okay, the District of Columbia is the U.S. corporation. I think everybody's in agreement with that. We're trying to figure out what it means. Okay, yep. The significance of of this is that as a corporation, the United States – 
the, the has no more authority to implement its laws against we the people than does McDonald corporations, except for one thing, the contracts we've signed as surely to our strawman of, with the United States and the creditor bankers. These contracts binding us together with the United States and the bankers are actually not with us, but with an artificial entity, or as they term, a term it, person, which appears to, appears to be us, but spelled out in all capital letters. There's, we're, they're That's treating right. us as uh, entities, not as citizens. It's, there's That's a whole right. meaning of them being the significance of it. And that's on that same link I put out there. Uh, the significance of that of this is that as a corporation, the United States has no more authority to implement its laws against we the people. That's that's the whole thing. We got two different even though they do though corporation one and the other. Here it in, in, in Article One, Section Eight, it says to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district, quote, not exceeding a particular state and the acceptance of Congress because the seat of government of the United States and to exercise like authority over all places purchased by the consent of the legislature of the state in which the state shall have shall be, then it goes on to talk about the erection of the force magazine arsenal. But it says not exceeding ten miles square. Exactly. That don't include Michigan. That don't include Nebraska. It don't include Georgia. Maine, Vermont, We have no federal government. Delaware. That's the point. <laughs> we have no federal government. <laughs> Only D.C. Yeah. does. It, the illegal yes. quasi-government in Washington, D.C., the federal government is a separate nation and should be called the United States Incorporated. That's right. It's a separate entity. It's not. It's not a separate separate entity within the Constitution. Because that's wrong. The only sovereignty really in the in the Constitution of the states that created the Constitution. The states created the federal and the government. And, and the states and the federal, federal government, government. Yeah, and the federal government only has the land that the Constitution allows it to have. It exercises jurisdiction over those matters granted to it by the Constitution. So, I mean, we, we're, we're talking about something no that is not. Yeah, I think we're trying to envision the federal government like we envision the states. The states are concrete with borders. The federal we, government the, is the a federal contra- government is totally- the, the federal government is a contracting agent that the United States contracts certain matters to perform. So who does the Supreme Court work for? That's when you get right down to it. You have this U.S. corporation. For the Constitution. Supreme Court works for? for the Constitution. Except they changed the Constitution, the, the name of it. The Supreme well, that's Court the problem with the court. But we know what they work for. The Constitution is, 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 it, it exists to help preserve and referee the Constitution. Not the states, not the federal government. The Constitution. It, well, and I think here's you're kind of making point the point. Too. We're, we're states, a group of states, states there with no federal, co- no, no federal constitution. Yeah, no I mean, states do not have to listen. States do not have to listen to the damn Supreme Court. Supreme Court makes no laws. It has no policing powers. It's just to well, hear actually, arguments between one or two more parties it's, and they all sort of because look at the civil rights movement. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> let me get two examples. With the Supreme Court, two two examples. 
the uh, Citizens United, they literally gave a corporation the same rights as a voter. That's totally that, – that, that isn't what the intent was. A corporation is designed to have a separate business entity to help protect it from liabilities and blah, 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 that kind of stuff. But uh, for them to say that Citizens United um, was legal – had rights to participate in the, to the same level of the um, election process is what we the people is, is totally wrong. They're given individual rights, human rights to a corporation. That's making law. Corporations it, are not you know human, why but they give them the you know why come that happens? It's because corporations can be sued just like people. They can be sued, but they should not be allowed to participate in our elections in the same way. That's that's well, the reason for having a corporation they, is very justifiable. They don't vote. I don't have a problem with why we have corporations. They don't vote. Corporations they don't should vote. not vote. They don't vote, Sally. They can't vote. They, they the do corpor- through the wallet. They don't vote. They do. They do through their wallet. They don't vote. They, no, no, they, they, they don't, don't think they're in the do you, corporation. Do you seriously so, believe? Do you seriously believe super PAC Show me where a corporation is submitting a ballot toward a candidate. Okay, time out. Listen to something here. <laughs> this is a fact. Whether anyone wants to admit it or not on this call, the Democrat Party, the DNC, and the RNC are private corporate entities. That's right. They, they are. I agree. We're not arguing that. Well, they are. They are. They're they corporate. are because they, 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 had, no to, they, they had to they fill out paperwork over, to form. They, they, they should not have rights over our ballot box, but they do. Yeah, I know. They, shouldn't, the, the, they should not have rights exactly. over our ballot box. And Citizens United was a super PAC that was using excessive money, a corporation, to influence and impact the elections. The corporation does not literally walk in the door and vote. They, have, they should not be allowed to influence. Corporations should not be allowed to influence the elections, and they do. The only one yeah, they be allowed the people to contribute to a campaign are people who can vote. Non-entities should not be allowed to contribute to a campaign. They don't. That's why I say they're voting with their money. They're not voting in the ballot box. They're voting with their money. They should not be allowed to buy the election, which is what they do today. They. You really think I can compete with these corporations that are giving money to these candidates? My vote means nothing. Because they're worried about what the corporation wants. So the corporations exactly. have been well, given you stop the, the, the same equal, you truly equal access to our ballot box, more so than I. They have more access than I do, really. Well, I, I don't agree think with they have more access than you do. I think that what they do, they contribute to candidates, and many times they contribute to candidates on both sides. Well, well sometimes, they, sometimes uh, they do play the games on both sides. There's, there's no choice around. Okay. But me as an now, individual, when I go in and contact my representatives, I'm not a lobbyist. Who do you think they're listening to? The lobbyist who's going to donate exactly. to the campaign to me. Who do you think they All care right, about? then let me they ask you this. How did, your, how did your individual representative get there? You voted for him. No, I didn't. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I didn't. <laughs> well, the people who had the money, assuming that the elections were elite, the, the machines worked and all that kind of crap, assuming that was okay, do you truly believe my vote with no contributions out there has the same impact as somebody who gives uh, no, actually, no, I, I agree with you that it doesn't. I, I agree with you that it doesn't. But, but, but here's the thing. As we well know, look, corporations can sue the federal government for uh, uh, unconstitutional encroachment upon their market activity. We already understand that. Corporations do. When there's an unlawful restraint of trade by some legislative act of Congress or some action of the executive, corporations go to the courts and express uh, their grievances and ask for a petition 
in the form of a lawsuit. I got someone else wants to join in here, sorry. I got another private caller here. governmental okay. entity. So, I mean, we all yeah, understand that to be a valid. Wait a minute. Do we not understand that to be a valid exercise of a corporate privilege or right already? We should uh, hang go on, after hang on. the FBI. Well, then, right, hang on. I mean, Let's the corporations do it, though. Okay. Sarge, hang on okay. a second. All right, hang on. Go ahead, private caller. Go ahead. The Republican Party and the Democratic Party have a, have all of the states in a headlock. That's why any of the other parties, whether it be a constitutional party, libertarian party, do not have the same privileges and immunities to contribute or to participate and compete in the elections. Oh, I know who this is. Oh, uh, there you go. Hang on. Hang on. I got John 323 now. Go ahead. Now. <laughs> yep, go ahead, 323. Well, I voted for Rocky Johnson in 2012. I didn't vote for either Republican or Democrat. <laughs> All right, 323, go ahead. Hello, boys and girls. I just thought I'd join the little jamboree. Sounds <laughs> I don't know as much about the Constitution as anybody else here, since I'm not <clears throat> that well read about it, but I am enjoying the back and forth, so I thought I'd join in just, just in case that Block Talk Radio was going to shut down. Uh, oh, show. okay. Yeah, yeah. it was an interesting <laughs> conversation here tonight. Boy, we're going at it, huh? It is. <laughs> yeah, we're going at it. It's good. No rancor. Nobody's mad at anybody. We're just expressing our viewpoints clearly and with uh, absolute conviction, and that's good. I think but so. I, I think yeah. I think the, the corporation though. I mean, where, where John Doe. Where, I mean, John Doe pretty much agrees with me and Sally. I think on, the, on what we're coming at here is that we're a corporation. Until we restore our original constitution and republic, we can't do anything constitutionally with the. How, how can we impl, imp, uh, like impose our constitutional rights to a corporation? How can we do that? We can't. <laughs> well, we can't did. do that. Look at uh, look at uh, look at the the deal with Arkansas. School. What was that, uh, Governor Fobis? Those black Fobis. kids went yeah. to the University of Art. They went to Arkansas High School because uh, they were uh, being denied their constitutional rights. So they they yeah. did use the Constitution to let them kids go to the high school. Those black kids. Yeah. And, and, and President Eisenhower used the 101st Airborne to enforce a federal judge's ruling. So the federal, so the federal courts and the federal judges imposed their will on a state. So the state had no right. The state didn't yeah, have no right. In, in response, in response to a constitutional ruling based upon the Fourteenth Amendment. Exactly. The, the state, state which had no right to deny those black kids their civil rights to attend their public high school. Wait a second. Civil rights and immunity. The privileges and immunities under the 14th Amendment. It was ruled by a federal judge, like you say, up here, like, like Bianchi said. Federal judges have no enforcement power, but the chief executive of the United States has the obligation and duty to ensure that the laws of the United States are faithfully enforced. When a federal judge's rule is what those laws are, it is deemed the chief executive's responsibility to ensure that those laws are properly executed. But that's not what the and founders like, envisioned with the Constitution, Sarge. They didn't want the federal government to do that. Well, that's not what the federal government's power was. There, they wouldn't have, he wouldn't have the authority to do it. If they didn't have the 14th Amendment there, <laughs> the president would not have had the authority to do what he did. 
Well, you had a governor who said that those black kids couldn't go to that high school. That's a violation of their their constitutional rights. So it says right there at the end of the 14th Amendment, Congress shall expend whatever money is necessary to enforce it. Wait, how is that a constitutional right when you have an oligarchy of, of Napoleon mental dictators that, you know, taking over the education of your children and stealing your money and then dictating how your kids are going to be educated? That's not the Constitution. Now, now, now we're talking exactly. about corruption. We're not talking about Now you're talking about something different. We're talking about corruption. We're not talking about corruption. No. It's the same, it's the same thing. God doesn't say that citizen has privileges and immunities, and there shall be no corruption that can possibly exist. God just assumes corruption is going to exist. But what you're talking yeah. about, John Doe, is corruption. You're not talking about what the Constitution says. Well, then they couldn't force the doggone states to let those kids go into those schools. They were just Under like the, the, was the they Constitution. Were... Yes, they could. No, they can't. In, cause in the, Section 5, the, hang on for a second. In Section 5 the federal of edu- the 14th education. Amendment. <laughs> Follow the money. In Section 5 of the 14th Amendment, John, though I don't know why you don't read the Constitution, it says the Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. Okay. The education at the federal here. level as is a, an oligarchial Okay. Hang on, hang on, guys. That's a political yeah. argument, John Doe. You're making political arguments. You're not making money. constitutional arguments. Oh, hang on, Sarge. Hang money. on, Sarge. Hang on, Sarge. Go ahead, Sally. Go There's ahead, Sally. There's no enumeration at the federal level okay. for okay. education, dude. The, the, yeah, I know, the, John Doe. There is. Yeah, Sally. Go ahead, Sally. Corporations. Go Sally. The U.S. The U.S. corporation, they give money to the states that you're going to do it this way or we're not going to give you the money. So that this is a big part of it, too. They bribe the states, and if, if we fund you this much money for that stupid sunrail system you wanted or don't want, but you're being, sho- it's being shoved down your throat because of the environment, the same thing with schools, we'll give you money for schooling, but you have to teach. You have to have so many drag queens every week if we're going to give you tax dollars. So it's a corporation. It's a corporate agreement that you make with the federal government. Exactly. But wait a minute. The states are not obligated to take that money. They take that money because they're greedy. They're greedy, and they want to waste money on other things. They're not obligated to take that federal money. Here's my my thought. Here's here's the thought that I have. If, If we all say, and I've heard people say, that the federal government doesn't have a right um, to stick their nose into the public educational system. So if they don't have a right to create a public educational system, then how can they have the right to enforce, um, to have kids go to an institution of which they have no right to have created? Wait a minute. Wait, are you enjoying the they case of Little Rock? Because in the case of Little Rock, those children wanted to go to that school. Their parents wanted them to go to it, and they were denied admission. Are you no. referring to the case of Little Rock 9? <laughs> this is the 10th Amendment. No, I'm referring, Sorry, I'm referring to what uh, Pianchi had said about there was um, an enforcement to make sure that kids who wanted to go to a certain high school but were denied 
were allowed to get in there. I don't know if it was the Little Arc, yeah, um, they the Little Arc to go. Nine, or whatever the name was. But the thing is, I'm asking a question. I am asking a question out of ignorance. I am saying, if the federal government does not have the power to create a public educational system, as some people argue, then if they created that institution, which is supposed to be unconstitutional, how can they then say? Well, they didn't create it though. They didn't. The university, no, the Little Rock High School system was a public accommodation created by the state of Arkansas. Okay. It wasn't created by the federal government. I got my answer. I got my answer there. Yeah, yeah. it was a public accommodation. Remember, public accommodations, if if an entity is a public accommodation, then all citizens have the same privileges to access it. As all other citizens within that jurisdiction do. But I also, but I also believe that. God, I, yeah, I happen to believe, unfortunately, that what George Bush said is, uh, is the truth. That the Constitution is nothing more than a parchment. Because when you have the money and you corrupt everybody and anybody, forget about it. If the people exactly. allow that, it is. But the federal government has no control over your local school system. They don't. Yes, they do. Through money. Money, money, money. You don't have to take money. They're greedy. Why do we let people so greedy to allow themselves to be controlled by the money that the federal government dangles in front of their noses? I have gone out there and fought, don't take the money from the federal government. We, we are a sovereign state within well, a sovereign nation. Why do you take the money? Problem, problem solved. Problem solved. When you take the money from the federal government, they merely tell you that you have to you have to abide by regulations like they stipulate. You can't discriminate. And those rules and regulations, at at many times, contrary to the Constitution. Why do they keep taking the money and then binding themselves to the regulations the federal government imposes on them? Because they need the money. They want the money to tax the Can't they tax their citizens for the money they need for their own essential services? Sarge, I'm answering your question. They, they want the money to get I agree credit. with you. I agree yeah. with you. Now, let All me right, ask you another question. I want to finish what I want to say, Sarge. Sarge, All right, let me ask another question. question. Why, why don't they act? Sarge, if you don't mind, can I finish what I'd like to say? Sarge, thank you. Sarge, let Joe finish. Don't take the money. People take the money because they they want to spread it around to their friends underneath the table. Isn't that the obvious answer? Well, yes. Why is okay. that? Why do we have so many penal people? But the federal That's government stole their own money. Hey, the federal government stole everything from we, the people, in order to offer that money to the states. Dude. There you go. Well, that's not the way. That's not the way. That's not the way it happened. If you want ROTC in your high school, then. The federal government will provide Army personnel to come in there to run it. That's the extent of it. But they say you cannot discriminate on women. No. They say you cannot. You have to have uh, Title IX where uh, women can have equal access to sports. Here's Missouri's curriculum 
Missouri State Statutes on Education. It says the curriculum, textbooks, and other instructional material not to be mandated by state board or department exceptions, appendix to Common Core, hang on, standards not to be required. <laughs> then it goes on to tell you that it's, it's up to the local district to whatever your textbook, your curriculum, and your instruction material to be. The federal government has nothing to say about that. As a matter of fact, and in Missouri, you got you. two public school districts. I know that. Don't say that. Trans, trans, what, trans, what's it called? Trans, the trans, the trannies. If they want the tranny education to be taught, it will be taught. <laughs> No, it won't okay. unless How the many presidents are going to get rid of the Department of Education? No. Come on now. No. We don't need a federal no, no, Department no. of Education except for the money. Yeah, but you guys keep referring to corruption. We understand the corruption. There is nothing in the Constitution that compels these state entities to accept this federal money. They choose to do it because they're venal, and they don't want to raise a tax levy on their state citizens to provide essential goods and services. They'd rather waste it on stuff they shouldn't be spending money on. But the federal government doesn't have any money rightfully to offer to the states in this regard. It's a breach of the doggone agreement. Title One is free and reduced lunch. Well, hell to hell with Title One. Let parents provide brown bag lunches for their kids. Thank you. That's what my, my mother used to do. She'd give me lunch. But if you don't do what the federal government says about the lunches, then um, your school could get shut down or have some of their um, all the more reason to get rid of the feds. All the more reason to get rid of the feds. Every reason you've given is a good reason to get rid of the feds' influence in these public school systems. Of course. But 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 then corruption corruption is the order of the day. How do you get rid of the corruption? That's because people let it go on. That's why. Yeah, exactly. That's what we're talking about here, corruption. We're not talking about the corruption. People let it it go on. They give the federal government these pseudo powers that they're not supposed to have. That's how it all begins. You got two school districts, Ledoux and Clayton in St. Louis County, that's public schools that receive hardly nothing from the federal government. There's always going to be exceptions to the rule, but the corruption is the mainstay of today. You got to point out the de facto Congress. The de facto Congress had passed the District of Columbia Organic Act of 1871, which created a private corporation with a trademark name of all capital letters, United States, corporate United States for the 10 miles square region of the city of Washington in the District of Columbia. So therefore, what what happens then? What happens, Sarge? All our laws became statues, right? The regional area which had constitutionally been designated for carrying out the business needs of the federal government had now experienced a private incorporation of the region and given a business name which was unlawfully and strategically manipulated at every opportunity under the circumstances of the change in law form. Next, all of the states in the Union were then reformed as franchises or political subdivisions so that a new union of the United States could be created. This new union, the corporate United States, was under the private rule of those private banking interests who privatized the District of Columbia through incorporations. 
So we're not under the Constitution anymore. We don't you have know, the Constitution. You got two black banks. You got two black banks in the District of Columbia, Carter, and I can't think of the other one. They are not controlled by no international bankers. I can bet you those black banks, Carter, and I can't think of the other one. They are not controlled by no international bankers. Yes, they are. Yeah, you're, you're correct, but the FDIC, they have Federal Reserve notes. They what are you trade, talking about? They are, traded on, they are traded on the U.S. stock market. Oh, right, they're all right there. Anymore. <laughs> okay. Not U.S. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, uh, again, you, I think you guys keep talking about corruption rather than some formal understanding that was formally and openly understood to be the case. We are speaking of corruption. We're not talking about the Constitution. But I'm talking about codification, Sarge. I'm talking about the codification. The Code of Laws of the United States, also known as the U.S. Code, is the official compilation of the codification of the general and permanent federal laws of the United States. It has nothing to do with the Constitution. The United States uh, Title Code 28, Judicial Code and Judiciary, was revised, codified, and erected into law on June 25, 1948 as H.R. 3214 and Public Law 773, United States Title Code 28, Section 3002.15, describes the definition of the United States to mean what? A federal corporation, a agency, department, commission, board, or other entity of the United States, an instrumental of the United States, the District of Columbia Act. That's what we. That's what I'm talking about here, Sarge. That's what started this. We're not under the Constitution, the organic Constitution anymore. We're a corporate a corporation. We're, but, we're, that's Joe, right. we're under codified laws, man. That's what I'm trying to Joe, say. All, all law in the United States is either statute or common law. All of it. Every law that is, has to be enforced has to be explicitly enumerated, written down, and ratified by some legislative body, whether it's municipal, county, or state. All of it. Or the federal government. And if it isn't uh, a statute law, it's common law, meaning the body Sarge. of judicial decisions regarding that, statute law and the Constitution. All laws one of those two. How could you say that? The District Act of Columbia of 1871 also provided for the adopting its own Constitution, which was identical to the original Constitution, except that it was missing the original Constitution's 13th Article um, of the Amendment Joe, and the corporate United Joe, States Constitution, 14th and 15th Joe, and 16th. Yes, when they created that municipal. When they created that municipal corporation <laughs> called Washington <laughs> D.C., just like Sarge, just like minute, the Sarge. states, just like the states have adopted an almost identical copy, for the most part, of the United States Constitution, with some variations. So Sarge. did the District of Columbia no. adopt a Constitution for its municipal body. Nope, Marbury versus Madison, 1803. A law repugnant Sarge. to the Constitution is void. With these words, Sorry, Chief Justice John Marshall that, established the Supreme Court's rule in the new government hereafter. No. No. We all been enslaved by the fourteenth amendment. Yes, we're all slaves. But wait a minute, see you guys keep making these different arguments in support of arguments you've already made that are separate arguments from one you just made. Now, we're talking about, you said that what this is going to be adopted a constitution that you say is in violation of the United States Constitution. 
Well, any sorry. sometimes sorry. states do adopt constitutions that conflict with the U.S. Constitution. And the United States Supreme Court has ruled that in several instances, of, I can't think of them right now, but several states did adopt unconstitutional provisions that they had no. to remove from the state constitution and rewrite no. to be in accordance when with the, the United States Constitution. When, so when, the States America, when the Confederate States of America had formed, it too had used the original constitution of the United States in forming the, the, its constitution. The document is largely a word-for-word copy of the original of the original United States Constitution, but with several key changes which designate how the con- Confederacy intended to be different from the Union and why. It was not a new idea for the, these some, some uh, uh, excuse me, these um, sons of Satan to counterfeit America's sacred operating document or to continue to masquerade its deception. The first attempt by the interim executive Congress to define citizenship was in 1866 with the passage of the Civil Rights Act. Uh, excuse me, 18, yeah, 1866 with the passage of the Civil Rights Act. This act provides that all persons born in the United States and not subject to any foreign power are declared to be citizens of the United States. Emphasis added. This, in turn, was followed by the adoption of the 14th Amendment, United States Code, and an Amendment 14 on July 28, 1868, declaring all persons been or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States. States and of the state wherein they reside. Emphasis added. <clears throat> so along with the passing of the uh, Emancipation Act, <clears throat> excuse me, and the day before on July 27, 1868 law what was in place to what? Enter or change patriotism into the new law form jurisdiction. Initially, <clears throat> the only people who were under the jurisdiction of the private um, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, government of the 10-mile square of Washington, D.C., were the former slaves, government employees, and people born or naturalized within the territories owned by the United States. The former citizens of the South who were now captured became 14th Amendment citizens as well. The 14th Amendment was ratified in the southern states under the force of the military by martial law. The southern states yeah, only true. obtained their right to exist by ratifying the Fourth Amendment. The, rat, the remainder of the people could still invoke the power over government through the original uh, jurisdiction of the republic side of the Constitution if they understood constitutional law. It is understood in law that any contract entered under duress or by non-disclosure is null and void, right? Full disclosure was not provided to the American people regarding the secret agenda to the permanently and deceitfully change the law form, not returning to functioning with the original Constitution of the United States. The operating document established in perpetuity, there was no full disclosure provided to the American people in the usurping of the people's covenant with Almighty God. The Constitution with a counterfeit Constitution on the plan to develop a corporate democracy. There you have it, right there. We were well, tricked you know what, and you duped. Know what, they came up with a slogan they came up with a slogan to circumvent that. Ignorance of the law is your business, not mine. And, yeah, that, and also, yeah. you being in South Carolina, you in South Carolina, I'm going to give North you three Carolina. black banks. 
No, you're in North Carolina. Well, let me go do some more. Let me go up the, up the hill. North Carolina, you got two black banks. You got Mechanics and Farmer Bank, and you got Greater Kenson Credit Union, which, you know, you go to farmers and ask them if they are under the international bankers and see what they say. Well, I mean, well, what do they got? Special dollar bills in their tray, or gold, or silver? Because if they're using Federal Reserve notes, they have a con. It says right on their on their dollar bills in their trays. What? What's it say? Legal they don't tender, print the right? Bills. They don't print. <laughs> they don't print note. the dollar bills. The U.S. Treasury prints the dollar bills. But gold and mechanics no, they don't. farmers bank is a black bank. Treasury doesn't print the dollar bills, Bianca. You know that. Go to mechanics and farmers bank and ask them: Are they under the international bankers? And I bet you they They have to be. They're, no, they're going. They're contracted with the Federal Reserve. The Federal but Reserve Joe, prints the money. But Joe, Joe, uh, yes. first of all, I'd like to go back a little bit, rewind the tape a little bit, and go back to what you said earlier about the Confederate Constitution. The Confederacy ratified its Constitution after it seceded from the Union. Lincoln never asked for a declaration of war on the Confederacy because he never recognized the Confederacy as a sovereign entity. He didn't want to. Okay. He said they were states in rebellion. He never wanted the Congress to recognize any aspect of the Confederacy's sovereignty. So the sovereignty, the Confederacy's Constitution was never challenged as to its legitimacy any more than the Confederacy was. Okay. But still, that doesn't nullify the 14th Amendment on how they never informed the people. They never told the people what was going on. You just admitted it yourself. Nobody was ever told this. I agree. No, I agree. I agree that the ratification of the 14th Amendment was problematic. The problem with it is that they removed it from the purview of judicial review under the uh, Article 3 from the Supreme Court reviewing it for its constitutionality. That was really kind of I know, Sarge. But that's what they did. That's why the Supreme Court can't revisit it. The 14th Amendment, what? Brought the freed slaves whose previous owners were private and made them citizens first and foremost. Wait, brought under the subjection and control of the 10 mile square. The most important thing it did was to allow the newly freed slaves to be considered citizens of the United States by virtue of the fact that they had been born in one of the United States. That's what the most important no, thing no, about the no, 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 they would be brought under the control of the 10-mile square jurisdiction of Washington, D.C. No, no, that's what you not. say. We no, don't believe that. Not. I don't believe yes, that. No, you say that. Not. I don't believe government protection to any other people who would volunteer to become the, the subjects of the 14th yes, Amendment is to the, the corporate United States The 14th Amendment was written in 1868. Wait a minute. The 14th Amendment was written in 1868. The Organic Act of Washington, D.C. was written in 1871. One preceded the other. So uh, the Organic Act was not in effect when the 14th Amendment was written. And you know, here's another thing about the 14th Amendment. Here's another thing about the 14th Amendment. It couldn't go back beyond state that it was ratified. So from, from the day it was ratified on forward is when it applied to any new blacks born in the country. The ones that was already exist, they was kind of in limbo. What about the citizens with sovereign authority as granted to them by nature's God, by inherent right, had created a constitutional republic to guarantee those rights? And start, and start contracts. The federal government created a 14th Amendment democracy to fortify the, its power over the citizens. 
It pretends to and be taking federal, citizens the under the protection. Amendment, the 14th Amendment came about particularly when Justice Taney said that a black man has no rights that a white man is bound to respect. And they changed things. Well, all I can tell you is that, the, you know, the people were tricked into volunteering themselves and their pro- and their posterity into the corporate United States jurisdiction, and that's what well, it is. We're I, under their jurisdiction and control, and and, and we, until we break away from their jurisdiction, we can't claim we have constitutional rights because we're lying to ourselves. Well, I disagree with you on that. So we, well, I, I might agree with you, but not on that basis. I don't think the Organic Act of eighteen seventy one anything. Well, even so, the most important point about the amendment is that although it created a new class of citizens, it did not have any effect on citizens of sovereign authority under the original Constitution. When when the Constitution was adopted and ratified, the people of the United States were citizens of the several states for whom, for whose prosperity the government was established, right? However, after the ratification of the 14th Amendment and the Slaughterhouse Cases, 1873, it was held that citizenship of a state was separate and distinct from citizenship of the United States, right? One well, is either you know, a citizen got, of a state uh, well, or a yes, citizen but, of a corporate yes, but, United States. Yes, but it reversed the order of making that that had been the case previous to the 14th Amendment because, first of all, the way you were a citizen of the United States pre-14th uh, Amendment was that a state made you a citizen of their state first. Once you were a citizen of a state, then you were a citizen of the United States. The 14th Amendment okay, reversed that. You were born right, in the um, state of the Union. You were then automatically a citizen of the United States. But, all right, Sarge, but based on conclusive thought. fact in law, research, early America virtually followed what? No uniform standard for spelling or for punctuation. Though some may disagree with this conclusion, that for practical purposes of this writing, we will not differentiate from the capitalization of the word citizen to depict the word type of citizen, one spelled with a capital C and the other spelled with a lower class C. It is important to understand the difference between a republic and a democracy. Right? Well, well I agree with that. But Scott. I think that's the word that's why comes Dred Scott. That's why Cubs Dred Scott ran to Missouri because Missouri is considered a free state. Right. But the Congress, but in the Constitution, you had what's called the Fugitive Slave Law, where an owner could go into a free state and reclaim its property. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's that all. But, but again, Bianchi, what, what class are we? One is either a citizen of the state or a citizen of the corporate United States. Both classes of citizens still exist, both American nationals, uh, state citizens, as well as 14th Amendment citizens exist. So which, which well, again, uh, that's my problem here today. What are well, we? Well, what are we? We're, we're not citizens well, of a republic. When people cross well, the border and have a baby – have babies in this country are those babies citizens or are the Not people it. that cross the border wait a minute are the people that's crossing the border are they still under the jurisdiction where they came from they are they are they are they are they under the jurisdiction their bodies where they aren't came from. Are, so government grants are right country for that matter of course they're of course they're subject to whatever uh, a law enforcement entity can seize control of their person. When, they, when you say subject to the jurisdiction, it means 
are they still subject to allegiances of the of the sovereignty from which they came? Yes, they are. If they have problems in the United States, they don't run to the U.S. Embassy. They run to the embassy of their country that's in the United States. Exactly. Exactly. This well, subject to their know, jurisdiction. You know, again, that's why they always say democracy. You know, I mean, these are the pro- these words have meanings. You know, law, legal, legal, lawful. This is important. We've been duped. That's why we can't fix things. We have to understand that. So, we're so broken. It's so broken. Uh, and but this all started with what? The Convention of the States conversation. But we, how can we have a Convention of the States when we're not a lawful republic anymore? We don't ha- can't have a convention of what states? The states well, aren't and, and well, look, wait, states. Women now, women, Joe, the Convention of the States is founded on the very idea the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. If it isn't, then the Convention of States has no validity, nor does anything relating but to the But those state citizens, Sarge, but those citizens of those states are 14th Amendment corporate de facto citizens. So therefore, well, they're not citizens of a republic. I don't agree with you, Joe. I just don't agree, I just don't agree with that. I just don't. I I, with, the, with the, day, the day you can show me one word in the Constitution that relates to make, transforming it into a corporate entity, I will accept what you say. I see the word public it was in the Constitution three times. I don't see in the Constitution about a corporation. Nothing. They took us over, Sarge, after the, during the Civil War. I know that. The I mean, we talked about things that even if they do exist, they are unconstitutional. Yes, you're right. They are. But does but doesn't mean that that well, didn't happen. This. It I don't happen. accept it. <laughs> well, sorry. No, no, I don't I mean, accept then, it then. then Joe Gibson, I mean, I mean you only talking about the law of the land, wasn't it? Wasn't Roe versus Wade the law of the land? It was I don't accept it either, Sarge. I don't accept it either, Sarge. I don't accept it either, but they can come here with their uniforms and their guns and make me accept okay, it. Okay, you're They'll right about that. Now, so. now we have a brief. Okay, on that we have agreement. You're right. That doesn't make it constitutional. <laughs> okay, I agree with that. About you know, Bors, you Bors has his own, own majesty. When you can enforce somebody to do something, that is majesty in and of itself. That doesn't mean it's right. I know. And it's not constitutional when they force you. What you're talking about in North Carolina, but like I said, people in Michigan, up there in Minnesota, people in in Vermont and Maine, they didn't have those problems. Well, if they can, if they forcing you is not constitutional, then all of the case law and statutory law is unconstitutional because when they ratify this stuff and they don't bring it back to the people to get the people's, you know, okay on it, then they've committed duress to the people in undue influence and coercion to manipulate the rules. Right. Yeah, case law has yeah. nothing to do with the Constitution. Case law has to do with a judge making giving an opinion to two people that's arguing, two or more people that's arguing. They don't yeah, have to everybody, though. Yeah, but they apply every single day. Well, yeah, because common law is what forms precedent. We don't have common, common law, law anymore in this country. We have, you're under, you're under codified UCC law, statutory law. It's a common law document. It's not a statute document. It's a common law document. So, it's really operate on this today. from the statutes that originate 
with the Constitution. Sarge, when you're patrolling around your police car, Sarge, Sarge, when you're patrolling around your police car, you don't go, oh, uh, we got to go to House Number Fifty Two today. His right, his Eighth Amendment rights are being violated. No, you're going there because a statute. No, I go to statute law. Of course I do. Because wait a minute, tell me something, Joe. Remember when J. Edgar Hoover was saying, I can't intervene in all these civil rights violations down here in Mississippi because I don't have any statute law authorizing me to do it. Yeah. Remember, you always said that. He was actually yes. right. Because they hadn't right. passed the civil Wait a minute. Wait a minute now. They hadn't passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964 yet. He didn't have any statutory authority to intervene. You're right. He ne- and he never had any common law. Mr. Boyd, I'm trying to make either. this common law and this statute law. There is a distinction. But the, st- the statute law is unconstitutional. It's null and void. Marbury versus Madison. Well, yes, but uh, is it? Which law are you talking about? That's what it says. Marbury versus Madison. That's 18, 1803. It says well, it's null and void. That never happened. That, that, that you're saying that the, the ruling by the Supreme Court of 1803 was unconstitutional. No, I'm saying, no, I'm saying Marbury versus Madison applies to what you're saying is that statutes became law. No, they became codified by fraud, by lies. The Civil War, but the 14th Amendment was not ratified. Listen, it's fraud. The Organic Act of 1871, it was the people were duped. We became all became 14th Amendment slaves, all of us. We're all slaves. <laughs> okay. fraudulent, fraudulent confiscation. Fraudulent yep. confiscation. Well, they may kidnap you, became, legally kidnap. If you became slaves under the 14th Amendment, that would require the repeal of the 13th. Uh, I, I think I did say that. Repealed? It was, uh, where no, I that's why that they pervert, that's why they That's why they pervert standing and due process and deny you your equal protection of the law and, and, you got and try to tell you that it means... But you got to have a ratification Joe. process to repeal the 13th Amendment. Wait a minute, but Joe, back to what you said just a moment ago, Joe. Joe, back to what you said just a moment ago. The most significant aspect of Marbury versus Madison was establishing the concept of judicial review by the Supreme Court. That was the most okay. important single thing about it. Judicial right. review. The Supreme Court has the right to determine what is and isn't constitutional. That was it. Well, I mean, I, I just don't understand what you what you don't understand about the Organic Act and what has happened. But you know, what what between de facto no, and democracy? I just don't accept it. I don't. I I think we're a constitutional republic. No matter how we've been corrupted, we're still a constitutional. I read you what the governor said. He didn't accept it either, but he gave up to avoid military conflict. Well, again, he's he talking he about power. Wait a minute, you're talking about power. What did I just say a moment ago about the majesty of power? Power has a majesty when no one else intervenes to prevent a, a, a immoral or unethical exercise of power. It will stand. It has that's sovereignty right, and majesty because it has power. And that's what happened and in we this government. we were free state. at one time. We were free at one time we're under a Republican. Yeah, we're, we're talking war. about corruption. We're not talking about yeah. the Constitution now. <laughs> Your government didn't have a means to fight. Didn't have no guns, didn't have no clothes, didn't have no food, exactly. no medicine. He got his ass whipped. Exactly. Well, Power has oh, its I own guess. majesty. I'm sorry, there's no way around it. If no one can so, intervene to help you, you're just the lost. 
So how can we enforce? So how can you say the Constitution exists? And how can we go to the Convention of States when we don't have a Convention of the States because they were usurped by the corporation? Ain't no convention. Well, of states. I, I, there has well, never okay. been no Article Five Convention of the States, so it ain't been. No, I know there hasn't been yet, and there can't be until we restore our republic. Yeah, you know, there's only been one constitutional convention that was convened, and that one was not convened under the authority of Article Five because it hadn't been ratified yet. So we haven't you had know, an I'm, Article Five Constitution. I'm willing to play the game and play the act and, and infiltrate the de facto corporation, yes, because I think that's the only way. Because if we were to bring this conversation to the American people, their heads would blow up. They wouldn't know what the hell to think. <laughs> you know? I agree with that. <laughs> I definitely agree with that, because we're all over the map on this conversation. <laughs> For well, sure. anyway. We'd be blowing some minds if people heard this conversation. Oh. It's documented. So any final thoughts? I'm surprised they're going to cut me off any second now. I'm watching the clock here. I know I'm way That's over. I'm way you know, up. I think it's been here. fun, though, Joe. It's been fun yeah. as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you know, we yeah, don't agree. For I mean, look, look you've you gave me a lot of things to consider, and you've definitely helped me refine my own arguments because you, you forced me to hold my, you put my feet to the fire on this one, and I, I appreciate <laughs> it. I really do. And all the others here, Sally, all the rest of y'all, you're, many of the things you're saying are absolutely correct. I'm not trying to deny it. I'm simply saying that corruption and wrongdoing does not negate the majesty of the Constitution. What, what, the yeah. only thing that can preserve the Constitution is our I think willingness we got like 40 to see seconds to left, it guys. 40 that seconds. is uphill. It's got to be uphill. If it ain't uphill, you're right. It's just great conversation. Great conversation. Sally, John Doe, quick. <laughs> I think they're going to cut me off in 10 seconds. Make sure you watch uh, uh, Unsustainable. Everybody's guilty of misprision. It's kind of tied to what, what Sarge was saying about greed. People turn a blind eye to the corruption, and therefore it becomes standardized, and then the other people are hoodwinked into thinking it's constitutional. Yeah, yep. Thank you. Amen. Amen, Very good. guys. Very good. Very hey, God good. bless you guys. Take care. Right. Good conversation tonight, though. It really was. It was powerful. I'm, God, I'm, I'm going to be awake another hour thinking about it. So, <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> have, have a good I'm, I'm going to get what you say some thoughts, too. Don't worry. I'm, 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 have a good night, everybody. And I'll get back to you. Good night. All right. Good night. Take care. Be safe. Be safe out there. <laughs>